Welcome to Biblical Brainstorm Podcast, the Seth and Chandler Podcast, coming to you live out of Jacksonville, Florida, and Dallas, Texas. And Dallas. Oh, yeah. I'm Seth. This is my man Chandler. What's up, Chandler? Nothing much. Been a, you know, been a long day, been a long week. <laughs> yeah. It's yes. been it's been pretty busy the last couple of weeks for both of us. Yeah, I'm gearing towards finals. Um, and yeah, today actually it's, it's today. So with my job, um, you know, I'm a teacher, so I'm an eighth grade teacher. And today is one of our testing days. Um, so nice. that's, you know, usually those those kind of days are, are really rough. <laughs> everybody, mm-hmm. everybody's stressed and everything. Um, yeah. So, yeah, testing days are, are crazy. Uh, and we have like two weeks of just straight testing, like in May, like right before, you know, kind of finals right before the year ends. But this yeah. was like one test randomly, just, you know, two yeah. weeks before we even start really testing. So it was just kind of like a one-off weird thing. But is this like, are you the evil mastermind that spurred the test, or was it the powers that be that told you to have a test? Yeah, well, it was the higher ups, and actually, gotcha, it's, okay. it's a state <laughs> thing too. And what's crazy oh, okay. is that this particular test um, that we had to administer, right? Is um, they like we tried to, you know, it was the seventh grade. Everybody was in, right, taking the test today, and yeah. it works like. 45 minutes in, 30 minutes in, you know, there's some glitch, but like, okay, everybody's in. And all of a sudden the whole thing just shuts down the whole server, <laughs> like everything. Uh, and we're thinking, Oh, it's our fault. Or maybe it's the server's fault. Maybe it's just like the yeah. district's fault. And it turns out it was a whole statewide thing. Oh, wow. <laughs> and Man. so, and I don't know why they had scheduled like both primary and secondary or everything just yeah. statewide, just as this, as a testing day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you said too many people testing all at once. I think that's probably oh, what okay. happened. But yeah, we it just crashed and we yeah it was kind of a a, a rough a rough day. And then tomorrow, Man. which wasn't supposed to be I guess a testing day, we're like redoing everything tomorrow. Gotcha. So it's like uh, it's like oh reset mode. Do <laughs> <laughs> one, one more time. Yeah, so that that's a little you know I'll have another long day tomorrow. But and then what's gotcha. funny? What's you know I say this is funny, but it's kind of sad. Um, right, right after. So I noticed on my lunch, like my break today, I go out to yeah. my car and my back right tire is completely flat. Just like, oh man, <laughs> just like, <laughs> just disastrously flat. And I see a nail in it, and it's like, oh come Ooh. on, like on the, like I don't know. And I saw the tire like come on, and you know, like uh, a day okay. or two ago. And I'm and I looked at the tires, and I was like, oh, they're kind of maybe a little bit low, and like I'll fill it up, you know, when I have time. Yeah. And, you know, I looked this morning and, you know, I, I get inside the car, I see the left side the tires. Like, oh, okay, I think I, I know I'll make it work. It's fine. Like, you know, it's not that low. Yeah. And I didn't check the right side, but the right back tire oh. was just, <laughs> and it didn't seem that bad. So maybe it just really deflated while I was at work, you gotcha. know, or, uh, I but don't know. A, but you must have like ran over a nail or something a couple of days ago. Either today or a couple of days. I don't know. I mean, that, Man. You don't have angry students that are mad about the testing? <laughs> no, no. But what's crazy is, like, I go out there, and it's, like, super flat. And I'm like, oh, I don't even know if I can make it to the the tire, you know, tire place. So right. I make an appointment, and I go, and somebody was able to, thankfully, uh, fill up my tire there. They had this machine at the school. So I was, like, that's yeah. super thankful for that. And I go, and I had to replace both my back tires because they were due to be changed anyway. And the tread on them was kind of little. So I was, like, they wanted to do all four, but I was, like, oh, just – get you out of the way and yeah. there's you know <laughs> you know spending some money already just bam yeah. just, uh, randomly and i've had i've had a bad uh, flat tire experience before we were driving um in another state i can't remember which one and 
we're just going. There is debris in the road. Didn't think much about it. I mean, it looked, I couldn't tell what it was, but I didn't mm-hmm. swerve in time to get out of the way. Mm-hmm. And it must have been like wood or something. I'm not, it was something hard because I felt it when we hit it. And then all of a sudden the tire light came on and then it just plummeted to nothing. And then we could oh, feel, no. feel the tire. Yeah, yeah, the rim just. And then, so we pulled over quick and it just was instantly flat. And so we're on the side of this country road somewhere Mm -hmm. and we were just gotten off the highway. We were still close to like the exit where there was a Walmart and all that. So thankfully on the side of the road, we were able to change it. And, uh, uh, it was me and John and Abby were riding together and, uh, we put the donut on. We're able to get to the Walmart. Just like I said, only a couple miles down the road, thankfully. And because if we would have kept driving, uh, Mm -hmm. where we were going, it was, it was just all woods. Mm-hmm. And uh, so thankfully we we're close to civilization and we were able to get it swapped and then be back on our way. But yeah, I know this having those flat tires isn't fun. Yeah. It's weird. Cause I've only, you know, I've only had the car for like a year, like two years yeah. and it's a 2016. So I'm like, it's not that old, but I guess because like nobody replaced anything on the car. So I'm like, I had to change yeah. the car battery this year. And so like, oh, and then now the, you know, now the tires, and that's so your like SUV, every- right? No, no, it's my Corolla. Oh, okay. Got you. So it's like just nearing that kind of end life, you know, mm-hmm. or like where things need to be replaced, um, you know, five, yeah. six years. So, and I don't but know yeah. how, but my Jeep tires, like they, like it was a used Jeep, but it was in good shape when I got it and everything. And the mm-hmm. tires don't seem like they've worn at all. And I've put like a good 20, 30,000 miles on it since I got it. And this tread's still great. Nothing's mm-hmm. happened to them. And, I don't know what kind of tires or what kind what they're made out of, but they seem to last really well. Yeah, but they uh, yeah, tires, man, good stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> now, um, you may be wondering how this relates to the Bible. So yeah. let me tell you. <laughs> well, when life gives you a flat tire, you gotta keep it. <laughs> well, like the resurrection. I mean, that that's another big thing. You know, yeah. hey, that just happened Easter Sunday, right? We just passed that. Um, yes. Happy Easter, everybody. Yeah, happy Easter. You know, forget that's the first time I've seen you know anybody since then. And happy Good Friday. You know that that passed as well. Um, so today we're going to be covering more of the Good Friday, the cross, sacrificial lamb stuff. Um, so we couldn't get into everything last week. So this week, uh, and you know, next week we'll talk about the resurrection. But this week will be a part two. And so here I'll put it even on the on the ticker here. So episode nice. four, the sacrificial lamb, part two. So that that will be today's episode. Um, you know, probably won't be as long. I know we keep saying that uh, every episode, but <laughs> and um, last week we ended up going two hours twenty minutes. So for those of you that stuck with us, thank you. But it's also pre-recorded, so you can go back and listen to it. Uh, yeah, or uploaded, I should say. Recorded. And there's a lot of good stuff in there. Don't get me wrong. Uh, we really yeah. went through a lot of content, but I think we prepare so much, uh, and we leave yeah. so much stuff. <laughs> we leave so much content out, so many verses out, so many articles, things out that it, we almost think, oh, like, it's not going to take a lot of time. But even what we do prepare is like, man, it take, you could talk about this for hours. Oh, yeah. So we didn't, you know, we, we're using a lot of the stuff from last week that we didn't get to and just kind of going, using just, you know, a lot of that stuff. So yeah, uh, probably, you know, if we get close to the hour mark, hour, you know, hopefully it's not more than an hour and a half this time. So, again, we yeah. keep saying that, but <laughs> let, we, right. we have yeah. less content, but really good content today to cover. So, Well, you uh, know what might help us get through quicker? Not just that we're wrapping up last week's, but I've got some Death Wish coffee here, so I might be on warp <laughs> speed. There you go. We'll just, you know, <laughs> go straight through. 
I know yeah. last week I said I had some Starbucks Sumatra, but you know this week has been I've been pretty tired today, so I had to bust out the Death Wish coffee. So <laughs> I only do that once a year on uh, finals. I get nitro, yeah. and I'm just like just, nitro's good stuff. And I'm nearing finals now, so that's you know where I might be in for another do for another nitro. Oh yeah, um, that's good stuff. Yeah. So, anyways, I'm gonna quickly recap um, some of the things we talked about last week since it kind of leads into today. So, for those of you who may have missed it, so just real quickly here, we talked about obviously Jesus the cross, how he fulfilled uh, Old Testament prophecy. Seth mm-hmm. talked a lot about how he fulfilled like uh, Leviticus and you know, kind of like the sacrificial stuff. And I kind of drew like a little prophetic line. You know, if we're tracing kind of one uh, one deal of of prophecy you know there's thousands of webs of prophecy or, or things in the bible that connect to each other but if we just connect one little little dot through um you know we start with genesis 3 15 uh, the prophecy of you know i'll put enmity between uh you and the woman this and some is, people say that'd be the first prophecy right yeah yeah or i mean you can probably yeah 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 it's the first at least explicit prophecy um some people can maybe you can draw out something from earlier verses but as far as yeah. an explicit messianic prophecy um, this is pretty evident here in uh, the th- you know Genesis three fifteen. So right. here we have the curse uh, of the serpent of the of Satan here, and so it says I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So we covered that um, last week, and you know you have this interesting prophecy. So offspring is also you know the word for you know seed. So it's like the seed mm-hmm. of the woman. So that's also kind of like a virgin birth prophecy because the seed comes from the man, not the, the woman. <laughs> uh, and at least in ancient you know in ancient kind of um, anthropology uh, or you know ancient views on anthropology that is uh, and how and biology and how that works. So. Uh, so yeah, I mean that's pretty self-explanatory. But you know, when yeah. you see something that's like the, the seed of the woman, it's like, how does that work? And it's like, well, that's you know, a reference to the virgin birth a little bit. So, anyways, keep that in mind. So you have Jesus, obviously, who is the fulfillment of that, and we led that into Melchizedek. Uh, so blessing Abraham in uh, that's always Salem. a good study, Melchizedek. Oh yeah, and so we have somebody, um, you know, here blessing Abraham in this place called Salem. Then we talked about Exodus 3 for the third week in a row. Uh, so this week we're not covering Exodus. Uh, you know, Are you we, sure? Well, I guess if this counts, I'm pulling it up. So we're just going to talk about <laughs> I guess it does count. Exodus 3 every week. We'll just sneak Exodus 3 in every single week, I guess. That'll be like our running, <laughs> you know, our running thing for the show. Yeah. Uh, so we talked about the... I um, about that too. <laughs> the I am who I am, you know, the Tetragrammaton, the... Um, you know, the name of Yahweh, um, you know, the divine name of God, right. and how that kind of connects with, and I even had an image of this. Um, with, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, let me pull that. So you have an ancient, and, and this is even pre-Hebrews, it's kind of like proto-Kid and I are really, really early Hebrew. Um, where you where does this fall with like Phoenician writing? Yeah, yeah, same. It's kind of all. It's all know, in the same time frame. Canaanite, yeah, just. Okay. Uh, the Levant area, um, char- you know, characters and letters. Nice. And so we talked about how, you know, it's interesting because even though when you put Hebrew letters together, they don't necessarily retain the meaning, the meaning of the individual letters anymore because they create okay. a word uh, usually. But it is interesting that God in his omniscience, when he made his, when he, you know, revealed his name, 
that the four consonants that make up his name, which again, every letter has its own individual meaning. Yeah. Um, somehow is, you know, yod he vav he, which if you see from here is the yod is a hand. Uh, he is, um, you know, like lo behold. Mm -hmm. uh, yod he vav. It looks like, like the, the he looks like, for those of you that are listening and maybe not watching, the, the he looks like a stick figure with its hands out and like stretched out. Yeah, yeah, for those listening audio. So yeah, and we covered this more last week, so I'm just going to yeah. briefly just buzz through this. Uh, so if you are interested in kind of like going through Yeah, if you want to see the full explanation, you know, you know, go yeah, back yeah. next week for sure. So, so hey, yeah, vav, hey, so another, so the vav and another hey, so the vav meaning a nail or ten peg. So literally the, the name Yahweh, the four consonants that make up his name is pictographically a, a you know, hand and a nail <laughs> like behold yeah. the hand behold the nail you know cool imagery there and uh it it just shows you kind of the development too here and how we get to modern hebrew as well because of aramaic influence you know you have the kind yeah. of uh all that going on there so you can kind of see that more clearly um so we talked about that um there we go and so we went through god revealing his name then to moses and then we have First uh, Samuel, uh, where we talk, you know, the David and Goliath story, very famous David and Goliath story, and how when David killed Goliath, he cut off his his head. So a detail often overlooked, you know. Uh, yeah, he, <laughs> that's not in the children's Bibles. Yeah, yeah, it's like oh, the stone, and he falls down, and they think he died. You know, he just dies there, and it's like, right. well, he, he made sure he was dead. <laughs> you know, just just in case the stone didn't do it. You know, yeah, it got off his head, and then he took that to Jerusalem. So interesting, right? We have this, uh, this kind of situation going on where you have God reveals his name to Moses, the hand of the nail, um, of the Genesis 3 prophecy here with uh, the offspring of the woman, which you know will have his heel bruised, but he'll crush the head of the serpent, and yet you have the head of Goliath in Jerusalem buried now, um, and we also tied that in to um, Abraham. So Abraham's mm. story, I read that. I don't have time to go through all that. You have to go back. Um, but how Isaac was being sacrificed or attempted sacrifice in Jerusalem, the hill in Jerusalem. So you're seeing all this tied together where you have the sacrificial lamb. And even just to prove that more, John 1, 29 says that, you know, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him. This is John the Baptist. Mm -hmm. uh, saying this, and saw, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So you have John the Baptist, you know, declaring Jesus as the Lamb of God, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, Seth, will, you know, you'll t I think you'll talk more about that whole yeah. stuff today with Passover stuff. Um, I briefly touched on Passover, and, uh, and I'll kind of hand it over after that. But then we get to Matthew. 27, 33, and it says, you know, where was Jesus crucified? Well, he was crucified on the, you know, the place of the skull. And Golgatha is literally the Aramaic term for skull. And then Calvaria, which is the Latin term uh, of skull, uh, where, we, where we get the word Calvary. So if you know the cross of Calvary, you hear that, you know, Jesus, you know, crucified on Calvary. Right. That's, where, that's what it means. You know, it's not like uh, Calvary... Horsemen, you know, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, when I was right, younger, yeah. I always thought that, you know, it's yeah. like Calvary, you know, it's like Jesus, the cross of Calvary. I'm like, does that mean like victorious knight, something like that? <laughs> like, there's something there. It's like, no, yeah. skull, skull, Latin, yeah. Latin for skull. 
Like he was crucified on the skull. Yeah. Um, and then when a lot, if you see a lot of churches named Calvary, I know like there's the uh, Calvary Assembly with the uh, where Pastor Jim Raley's at in Norman Beach, and there's a lot of other churches in Florida and around. They're just like Calvary Church, Calvary, whatever. The Assembly of the know. Skull. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what they're referring to in case, you know, just to be thorough, you know, that's what they're talking about is where Jesus was crucified as a symbolic, you know, location. Yep. So we went through that um, last week. Again, if you're interested, you can go back to last week's episode, the sacrificial lamb part one. If, uh, you know that. Or you just see this prophetic line of Jesus being crucified on, you know, over the head of the light, over the skull. And then you have, you know, that kind of typology fulfilling Isaac. Yeah with the wood sacrifice on a hill in Jerusalem, right? Mm-hmm. And we went over, you know, all of that stuff, which then again fulfills the divine name. And also this is three. So if, again, if you're interested in, in that more detail, you can go back to um, yeah, you know, the last episode. So I, t- and then tied that into Passover. So Passover with Jesus being the lamb of God. And I'm sure some of you guys are familiar with the story of Passover and I think I'll hand it over to you. You can explain it like, uh, okay. you know, the, some of the Passover and, and then what you had for that too. But I haven't yeah. heard this either. So I'm kind of interested in what, you know, so gotcha. this be cool <laughs> stuff. So I'll let you have All that. Right. So now we're up to live time. So yeah, we uh, caught you guys up. Better. Yeah. All right. So we got part one. All uh, wrapped up. Now we're on to part two. So let's pick it up. All right. So Jesus being um, the lamb, you know, that imagery, the sacrificial lamb, you know, as our title. Uh, I know we're a little you know, behind. We're planning to have this done before Easter, but, you know, we can still it's still OK. We'll work it out. But, yeah. Next week, we'll cover um, the full resurrection next Tuesday. Yeah. So we're <laughs> so I mean, it's still still good stuff, you know, so it's just a lot too much it was just too much to pack into one episode and we didn't anticipate that so because i mean it's it's good stuff you don't want to skip over what you don't yeah. need to skip over so or rush things that don't need to be rushed to because it's all i mean it's all important it's all meaningful so it's it's all good but um so yeah so i have a few scripture references for you um i've only got three today so we'll pull those up um mm-hmm. uh a little bit uh, but I just want to talk a little bit about that, the Passover and the sacrificial stuff that Jesus went through. So the biggest thing um, that the the phrase that's most associated with Jesus and Easter and everything, he's the Lamb of God, um, you know, that whole um, association motif, uh, whatever, however you want to. <laughs> Hi, Susie. However you want to. Yeah, the laughing. Uh, well, that was probably in reference to our story on the. Um... The tires. Yeah, the tires. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, she's not. My laughing. flat. Yeah, I got a. <laughs> I got a. I got a flat tire today. So for those of you who are just now watching. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. But yeah. Um. Where was I? Uh, oh yeah, Lamb of God. So. Um, speaking of nails. Speaking of nails. <laughs> so Chandler referenced um, and John. It was one twenty nine, right? John yeah, one twenty nine. Yes. Uh, let me go back here. So he, uh, so this was it was John the Baptist talking. Yeah, one twenty nine. Jesus, perfect. When he sees Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we know, you know, John knew who Jesus was. Um, not only was he, this is something I've always wondered. Rabbit trail. Um, something that was pointed out in my uh, New Testament theology class uh, a couple years ago, mm-hmm. uh, talking about how when Mary saw Elizabeth, and when Mary saw Elizabeth, John 
the Baptist when he was still in his mom's Elizabeth's womb um, said that he leapt when he was near oh, yeah. Jesus and they met. And it said that Mary and Elizabeth were related, right? Wasn't aren't they related? I think so. Like it was his her sister yeah, 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 or yeah. cousin or something. Mm-hmm. So that means There's somehow somebody. somehow Jesus and John the Baptist are related, but no one seems to really talk about that. I've never heard anyone talk about that. Mm-hmm. Which I'm not sure how deep that goes or what the connection is, but that's something I forgot. I always forget about until I actually start reading his family. But yeah, it's kind of interesting if you think about it. You know, Jesus and John the Baptist may have been cousins in some way, so or second cousins or yeah. something. I don't know, some kind of yeah. distant relative in there. But uh, yeah, rabbit trail. Thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. I brought that up in my uh, New Testament theology class. My professor didn't seem like he wanted to talk about it, so he didn't elaborate much. So um, it's funny. But yeah, anyway, so Jesus, um, John identifies Jesus as the Lamb of God. So, I mean, there's, you know, the Lamb is what was sacrificed uh, in the Old Testament as, um, well, I guess I can just get in, I'll get in, uh, save that for a little bit later, but um, I'll get into that in just a moment. Mm-hmm. But there's there's a reason why he's identified as the Lamb, uh, is my point. So, um, and even pointing that out, there is no explicit prophecy or messianic prophecy in the old testament that says that the messiah will be like a lamb or like you know the lamb or any lamb of god or will be called a lamb or anything like that literally like nothing explicit in the old testament as far as a lamb but Mm -hmm. you when you really read it it's like oh there is stuff in the old testament it's prophecy but not a prophecy (laughs) well it's (laughs) a prophecy but not an explicit prophecy yeah right yeah yeah. so it's like it's jesus is fulfilling all this stuff people just weren't expecting it i guess they weren't mm-hmm. really, you know, maybe some were, maybe the Essenes were, because they seemed to be pretty in touch. But, mm-hmm. um, and there's also the theory that John the Baptist was an Essene, but um, maybe we'll get into that for another episode because that's pretty in depth. But yeah, um, eventually we can go though. through a New Testament book because I know we mm-hmm. want to go through Genesis and Exodus as a Bible, you know, as a yeah. chapter by chapter series at some point soon. So maybe we'll go through like Matthew or Mark or Luke or something yeah. like that. Maybe Luke and Acts. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, but yeah, it's. Um, I'm trying to see where I want to jump in here because they're they're all together. Just want to see where I want to start first. But I guess you know we're talking about the lamb, so we'll start there. Um, so the blood of the lamb, the lamb imagery, that kind of stuff. The reason why you know he was called the lamb. So it, when you go through Passover, and we just came through Good Friday and all that, and Passover for uh, the Jews or the Jewish faith. Um, mm-hmm. So even side note on that, if if you uh, if you want. Uh, if you don't mind. Yeah, I was going to say that, you know, because uh, I hear this, you ever heard said that uh, it's like, oh, Easter is a pagan, ho-, you know, Easter is a pagan ho- holiday. Yeah. Was that? You ever heard that? <laughs> yeah. And so the name Easter, okay, yeah, it's borrowed, but it's only borrowed in the English and German language and English borrowing from German. Every okay. other language that this is celebrated is literally their language version of uh, Passover. So it's like oh, wow. Pesach or Passover, like it's literally Christian Passover. So like Eastern Orthodox celebrating Easter, it's not called Easter. It's, you know, in their language, Passover or Christian okay. Passover. So it's a translational thing. Yeah, but well, right. Easter and like the German and English language, they we do borrow from a different, like it's, a, it's you know, we're still celebrating what Easter is. Yeah. But, you know, when people try to say, oh, it's it was on this day because of a pagan holiday, it's like, no, Easter wasn't. <laughs> is that from the same camp that says Christmas is pagan and you can't celebrate Christmas? Probably, probably. <laughs> um, but to think a boring, boring lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But well, I mean, there's some 
there's some concern, legitimate concern with things that you don't want to, like Halloween, for example. There's a lot right, of things yeah. with that that are just really dark, and you don't want to. Yeah. yeah, but anyways, but like, be a re, you know, rest assured. Yeah, Easter's Easter. Good. It's on I that day know. for a reason because what, it is. Now, where so in the world did the like the Easter Bunny and all that come from? Since we're talking about it, <laughs> do you know? Do you have any, Do you know anything about that? I didn't look it up, but. Um. Yeah. I I watched a video. Like, I I've looked into this. Like a year ago, last okay. Easter, um, and I and if people are interested and you want to like ask, I can send you some resources on that too. But okay, um, I, yeah, I do know that it's on the day, like on this day for because of the resurrection. But in every other language, it's literally called Passover, Christian Passover. It's only in the English and German languages that it's called Easter, and it's the mm-hmm. same holiday on the same day, celebrating the same exact things. Okay. <laughs> But why the bunny? Like, where'd that come from? Like the whole Easter eggs and Easter bunny. Thing? Yeah. Um. On the top of my head, I have no idea. But I have to. Okay. Yeah. I know we didn't prepare. For I know that. the eggs a... thing came later. <laughs> okay. And some people want to tie oh eggs into fertility or things like that. It's, uh, okay. Yeah. Not really. But the eggs thing is a later thing. The bunny thing, I have no idea. That might go back. I again, yeah. uh, that's full conjecture here. But yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, maybe uh, we'll do like a brief. Uh, we'll open with that next. Week. Oh yeah, next yeah. explanation yeah. covering Easter, Easter of the. Mm-hmm. The uh, uh, the origins of the Easter Bunny and all that. We'll do like a quick five minute thing, <laughs> and we'll just yeah, yeah. hash that out. But yeah, that, uh, you know, yeah, that's rabbit trail. Again. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Anyways, you're talking about Passover, the lamb. Yeah. Easter. Sorry about that. Yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, Jesus, or excuse me, John calls Jesus, you know, um, mm-hmm. the Lamb of God and all that. Uh, John one twenty nine, and. In the Old Testament, in Exodus, we read the story of the first Passover and why it's called Passover. So in this story, the Israelites are in, um, or the Hebrews, I should say, the Hebrews are in enslavement to the Egyptians. And Moses comes along and he's trying to get Pharaoh to release the Jews, to release the Hebrews uh, so that they can, you know, go on to the promised land and everything. So, this is all during the plagues. This is all going on during the plagues, and this is actually one of the plagues. Um, Pharaoh refuses to let the Hebrews go, and now it's got to the point where the firstborn is now going to be the firstborn of the Egyptians are going is going to be killed, and the angel of death is coming through Egypt and killing all the firstborns, and um, firstborn children and. I did see something. I think it was on History Channel. Um, it may have been on another channel a few years ago. It just came to mind. Um, it was one of those um, uh, kind of sciency uh, explaining why the Bible's wrong kind of things. Um, and it was talking about the death of the firstborn and the plagues and mm-hmm. if what the natural explanation was and what really happened because it wasn't really God doing it. You know, it was just a natural thing. And it just all happened to be in, you know, chronological order specifically mm-hmm. happening that way. But uh, they explain like why the river was turned to blood, the water, the mm-hmm. Niles turned to blood and like why all this other stuff happened. And um, and even I'm OK, like, they, let's just say all this hap- was a chain reaction because there is that theory that everything was a chain reaction yeah. to one another. But you, when you get to the last one, though, the firstborn, that just it has to be. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, well, here's their explanation for that. I mean, oh, it really? kind of, in a way, it makes sense, but in a way, it's like I don't really see a disease that's discriminatory between. Oh, you're the oldest, ha. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing. They did. Uh, they talked about um, something, but something about the firstborn 
um, when they when they would go to eat, the firstborn would eat first of, for some reason. I can't remember why, but there's like some tradition that the firstborn oh, okay. would eat yeah, first. Sure, sure. And they were saying that there may have been some issue with the grain or the food supply. Um, I can't remember if it was connected Disease to previous plates or not. Yeah. But they were saying, you know, if there was an issue with the grain or whatever and say it must have been some kind of atmospheric thing or something. I don't know. It had something to do with the first portion being affected <clears throat> and mm-hmm. the firstborn eating it first. And when he ate it, you know, he got sick with something. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the family was fine, so that's how they explain the firstborn dying. But that still is a little bit of a little more of a stretch. It's I think. Among Us. Yeah. Us. <laughs> I think yeah, we'll cover Exodus fully in a series <clears throat> at some point in the future. Yeah, really we'll have to look more into that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so there's. I mean, that's a, there's an interesting explanation there from you know secular science and history and all that. But so the real, you know, what we believe happened, and I think that's the only way you can really explain it is you know it was an act of God, not nature or it says literally the the death angel but you know that again that could be you know using natural causes or not or yeah i mean god can use nature and natural things to accomplish what he wants to accomplish but i think in this case it's pretty safe to say that natural angel came and carried this out (laughs) Mm -hmm. but um so uh the reason it's called passover the death angel came and god told the hebrews and israelites in order for your family your firstborn and your crew to be exempt because you guys are my people and trying to save you guys. So to make sure you guys, your uh, firstborns aren't killed, mm-hmm. you know, take a blood of, you know, sacrifice a lamb, take the blood, put it on your doorpost. And that way the death angel will pass over your house mm-hmm. and, you know, your firstborn will be saved. Yeah. So instead of dying, like everybody else is going to die, you know, their firstborn is going to die. You guys will be saved. You guys will be safe. Mm-hmm. And so there, that's there's another you know redemption story, kind of in there somewhere, of you know those that are in covenant with God and have the blood, you know, symbolically applied on their life. You know, death, eternal death passes over them, and they can go to heaven, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. In a nutshell, it's like that. I mean, that's an oversimplification of events, but yes, <laughs> <laughs> we'll go with it. Yeah, we'll go with it. But um, so yeah, that's the origin of you know why the blood of the lamb is important because it's you know. I mean, there's other sacrificial, you know, Levitical stuff with using a lamb, but you know, that's the big thing with Passover at this time of year was reason. It's the reason why Passover is called Passover. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, um, I actually do have those scripture references: twelve seven and Exodus twelve seven and Exodus twelve thirteen. So we'll go over. Uh, let me pull that up real quick, or well, not pull you're, it up, but you're pulling up Exodus uh, first. Yeah, yeah, we'll do Exodus twelve seven. Uh, and I always talk about my Bible this week. I have. My Charles Spurgeon Christian Standard Bible, my Charles Spurgeon Study Bible. Um, it's pretty cool. I like Charles Spurgeon stuff, uh, and this Bible's pretty cool. And it just has um, notes in here. Um, you know, he has you know just commentary on it on the bottoms of the pages. So, uh, oops. Like his so own commentary like a, of each verse by verse. Yeah. So wait a minute. There we go. So you can see he's got his commentary on the bottom and then there's like a little bubble in there that has like his own handwritten note that they scanned and copied and put in there. Well, that's cool. And, uh, so that kind of, and then they'll have like a scan of a page of his sermon notes throughout the Bible and different passages where you can read his sermon notes. Um, so it's pretty cool. But I haven't used this or read through it in a while, so I thought I'd bust it out. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so Exodus 12, 7, they, they must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house where they eat them. So that's the um, 
talking about, you know, telling them, put the blood on your doorpost so the angel will pass over. Mm-hmm. And um, the whole chapter is the, you know, the story of the Passover and the, all the instructions. I'm just picking out a couple of verses, you know, to go over what we're talking about specifically. So, uh, like I said, verse seven, they must take some animals or excuse me, verse seven, they must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house where they eat them. So two doorposts on the side, lintel on the top. So it's kind of like, you know, the frame left and right, and then board across the top kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And another interesting thing about putting the blood on the doorposts is, you know, you put one on the left doorpost, one on the right doorpost, one on the top. And I believe it was, um, uh, what was his name? Pastor Robert Morris. Uh, I saw he posted a video, an excerpt of his Easter sermon, Mm -hmm. and he was talking about, you know, this symbolism, which I knew before, but the way he had illustrated it and pointed it out, it looked really cool because he had a graphic for it. But it was talking about graphics. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so there's the blood on the top uh, of the doorpost, blood on the sides, and then there's probably some blood that dripped down from the top doorpost onto the floor. So there was or four... the pool of blood that you would even use to paint. I mean, yeah, take the rest too. Yeah. Yeah. True. So it's so there was four spots that had blood, and those, if you draw a line top to bottom, left to right, it makes a cross. So it mm-hmm. looks like a literal representation of like if you put Jesus like hanging on the cross, put a picture of it, superimpose it on the door, like all the points line up, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And Um, I think we mentioned that like briefly last episode too. Oh, did we? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, It's it's a pretty cool thing. Mm -hmm. We didn't get into it. I just kind of like one throwaway, like comment. Yeah. Yeah. I think now, now you mentioned, I do. I feel like last week was forever ago, (laughs) but, um, so yeah, there's that. And then, uh, 12, uh, which is a cool detail by the way it's like you, you know. yeah that's another one of those foreshadowing things it's like it's not an explicit prophecy but it's in there you know it kind of foreshadows what's going to happen mm-hmm. um but yeah moving on to exodus 12 13 uh let's see the blood on the house where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you when i see the blood i will pass over you no plague will be among you to destroy you when i strike the land of egypt <laughs> no plague will be among us. We gotta stop making Among Us references. <laughs> among us, and I've never played even played Among Us. Yeah. Oh really? I haven't even never. played it. Yeah. I it's just fun. I just know I the memes it. are controversial. Some people hate them. Some people love them. But <laughs> no, no. It's I mean it's it's alright. I think it's funny. But if you have a good uh, brew, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the blood on the house where you're staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. Uh, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. So they weren't super original with the name, but it's a meaning meaningful name. Passover. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know. No what are we gonna call this? To pass over. <laughs> the death angel passed over us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you don't gotta get super creative anyway. So I mean, you know, can't blame them. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, when you see when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I uh, strike the land of Egypt. So that's you know talking on behalf of, or that's what that's you know God talking on behalf of the death angel. When I see the blood, mm-hmm. you know, I'll pass over you. So. um you know, that's what Passover is. That's why the lamb is important. I think that's probably uh, the first time the lamb is used in a significant sacrificial saving kind of way. Am I correct? Am I, am I yeah, wrong? Yeah, I mean, uh, no, like if we're if we're going back to the ultimate, I mean, there is this, the sacrifice with Adam and Eve, like with, uh, mm-hmm. you know, God clothing them with skins, which is interesting. Yeah. And again, there's so many things that we've had to leave out because we're yeah. like, just, these are just highlight things. For time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there is that. And then there's also um, Abel sacrificing his first fruits True. to yeah. God. Um, 
And then you have, yeah, Passover Exodus, which is pretty explicit, like the substitutionary atonement. Yeah. That's a big word for. And as far as like a specific animal, they didn't really name animal, like which animal they used beforehand, right? Uh, Maybe just said livestock. And yeah, so maybe it wasn't too specific. So yeah, this is one of the first lamb references, or if not the first lamb reference. Yeah. Um, Other than in the Abraham one, too, that I mentioned last week. Oh, yeah. True. So uh, God will provide (laughs) a lamb. lamb. Okay, Mm -hmm. yeah. And then so you have Exodus one. later, so it's a pretty cool, yeah, pretty cool connection, though. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so that's the Lamb of God thing, um, what that means. So it's you, know, the blood of the physical Lamb on the day, the actual day of Passover, saved God's people. So mm-hmm. tying that yeah. into now on Easter, now jumping forward to the New Testament, Jesus is called the Lamb of God. Symbolically, he's not a physical mm-hmm. Lamb. He's symbolically, you know, taking the place of the Lamb. And he is going to be sacrificed on the cross for us and his blood will cover our sin. Because like we talked about last week, animal blood only did it only, it covered our sin, didn't take it away. You know, so it was like um I'm trying to think of a good reference here. So instead of you get a stain on your carpet, uh, you could just put a spot rug on it and it covers it up, but the stain's still there. So Yeah, you got a good points. So the taking it away part would be either you just get a whole new rug or you get a really good cleaner of some nature and the stain's just gone and you don't got to cover it up. So, you know, that's the a, difference between yeah, stained way. and, and covered. Yeah. So yeah, the, the blood of the lamb covered them. Yeah. The blood of the physical lamb, animal lamb covered. But and the Jesus blood, cleansed. Yeah. yeah. And just took it away. <laughs> so that's the, the, the parallel, the symbolism with the lamb part as it pertains to um, Jesus. So when he died, his blood was spiritually symbolically applied to our sin and our lives and our sin was taken away because of his sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So he was the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate, you know, the end of all that stuff. And now we're covered because of him. Uh, the Tav. Yes. It is finished. <laughs> which yep. I'm getting I'm spoiling a little bit what I'm about to talk about, but yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I'm looking forward to that because I mean we have, we've talked about it here and there and I've thought about preaching a sermon on it before maybe in the future, but, uh, yeah, you're definitely, you're the main event. That's for sure. That's why you're going last. No, no, we're just coming <laughs> here. Um, but this but, is uh, the main event. And even what we're talking about here, the good Friday is Jesus. And yeah. like this all pertains to him as the sacrificial lamb. I mean, that's mm. just crazy. You see the parallels, like with the prophecies we covered last week, yeah. Leviticus, the, you know, the purity things, the, um, prophecies with Genesis, with Abraham, with the name, the divine name of Yahweh, you know, yeah. God, uh, and now this with Passover, and there's a lot more with Passover than we can even get, you know, cover. Um, yeah. And maybe we'll next Passover we'll cover that in depth, what like the actual yeah ceremony of Passover stuff. Yeah, next Passover will be a little bit more experienced, and uh, we'll be mm-hmm. a little bit slightly more semi-professional in our <laughs> approach. So it might be we might we'll probably cover some more extra stuff that we didn't get to this year. So the Passover year, Seder yeah. itself, the tradition, yeah. like there's things like the three bread, and the second yeah. one is the one that's broken. Mm-hmm. And Eden and Jesus at the Passover. Here's my body is broken for you. Right. And the reason why they do the they carried on the unleavened bread uh, even to this day in their Passover um, ceremony is when they were fleeing Egypt. Excuse me, they didn't have time to put leaven in the bread to wait for it to rise. They just had to make something and take it with them and go. So that's why they made the unleavened bread because it was ready to go. And mm-hmm. uh, so that's why they carry on that tradition too. So an interesting little uh, tidbit. Yeah, that's but, good too. And the leaven represents it, like it spreads, you know. Oh yeah, 
That's true. Yeah. <laughs> There's a little like, bit. See, you can go so deep in this one small little detail. That's why we got to kind of. You know, that's that's why we're leave hold out hold some things. But yeah. yeah. But uh, and then uh, uh, I think we had talked about it last week. But when we were at Southeastern together, um, on Thursdays for the Thursday morning chapel, for those of you that were uh, part of the SU 2019 class, um, if you went to Southeastern during the fall of 2015. Uh, you may have attended uh, Reflection Chapel on Thursday mornings. Shout out to our Southeastern crew. Um, but every week, which is really cool, and I actually enjoyed that chapel. I mean, there were some controversial uh, parts to it at times that um, we won't get into on here. But uh, it was, for the most part, it was a good chapel. And I think we usually sat together fairly often. And I know yeah, that we I had... Mean, yeah. uh, yeah, we have workouts usually on Thursday morning, so I would come from my workout and I think maybe one class or no Thursday morning was the 5 a.m. padded practice, which was yeah. really fun. So I'd have 5 a.m. We'd have 5 a.m. padded practice. For I would football. hurry up. Yeah, for yeah. football. For those who didn't know what padded practice, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that probably could be taken a bunch of different ways. But uh, so yeah, when, we, when me and Chandler played football at Southeastern, uh, our coach was a psycho, but a good guy, I guess. And um so we have uh, padded practice at 5 a.m. on Thursdays. And so we go to practice. I'd run home, change real quick, didn't have time to shower, just had to throw in another shirt and a lot of deodorant and go to my uh, macroeconomics class at 7.15 and, uh, or 7.30. And then after that, I would go to Reflection Chapel. Mm-hmm. And uh, after Reflection Chapel, I'd go take a nice bath and then go on throughout the rest of the day. So it was Thursday. I, like, I kind of liked that routine. But Reflection Chapel I enjoyed uh, mostly because every week they would do communion. And they would oh, yeah, always yeah. do um, un- the unleavened matzo bread, which is really cool. And I think you said there was a local baker or something in town that donated that to the yeah, school. Yeah, the matzo. And even the matzo is cool because it's like the matzo bread is like layered like this. So you got like it's both bruised and it has holes in it. Mm. And, you know, it's like yeah. Isaiah 53. It's, it's, yeah, that's I forgot about that, man. So that's uh, yeah, that's we really didn't cool, even cover was... Isaiah 53. Like, again, we had to leave stuff out, but. <laughs> Oh, Isaiah how did we, we miss that part? Because <laughs> there's just so much to talk about. Well, well we're still going the over the crucifixion next week. So, I mean, we still got that uh, for next week. So. Yeah. Like I said, there is we'll, so we'll much in there, the Old Testament yeah. that predicts and just is typology for yeah. Jesus fulfilling on the cross. Uh, so we're just, you know, going through Passover mm-hmm. right now. But there's just so much more with how Jesus fulfills that, which is amazing. Yeah. So I'm sure we'll get into that next week, the Isaiah prophecy. But mm-hmm. uh, So yeah, do you have so anything else on the, thing was cool. on the Passover? Uh, as far as Passover, uh, or what else you wanted uh, to cover? As far as Passover, that's the main thing I wanted to highlight was the uh, blood on the doorpost, blood of the lamb. Why we call Jesus the Lamb of God, that kind of thing. Um, for those of you metalheads, there is a band called Lamb of God, although they're not Christian, and I think they're borderline. Um, uh, what's the word? Blasphemous. But <laughs> um, that's where they got the phrase Lamb of God. But um, there's a lot of copying people like to there's, do that. Yeah, it's a lot of copycats. <laughs> but so that's the Lamb of God thing. But um, that's the biggest thing from Passover. And there's a lot of other smaller things, like we said, with the leaven bread and all that kind of thing that come from Passover. <clears throat> but the biggest takeaway from Passover is the blood of the lamb, death angel passing over the houses. Jesus is the blood or the lamb symbolically. And his blood saves us from eternal death, um, meaning separation from him in hell. And we can be in heaven with him. So um, there's not a lot of preaching around except on Easter on, you know, the blood and, you know, heaven and hell and that kind of thing anymore. But I think it's starting to make a resurgence. I think we're kind of coming back up on. Well, the necessity of it, like Jesus cleanses us. Like 
it's such it's a kind of important. Thing. <laughs> yeah. So I think there's uh, there's definitely slowly there's a there's slowly becoming a resurgence in you know some of this kind of deeper theology because it's been kind of skipped for a number of years and people just kind of ignored it because it's too deep. But now I think there's a newer generation, at least in our generation, some of the younger where there there's a lot of the people that aren't Christian in the secular um, world and atheist world. They know just as much, if not more about the Bible than we do. And so I think the newer generation of Christians coming up really are either learning more than previous generations or, um, the the less uh, it's, population it's kind of more a, devoted. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of more of a necessity thing that more of this theology is coming out and being taught because more of the opposition, if you will, is educated. So it's uh some of it's necessity, some of it's interest, but it's good either way. Yeah. So that's blood of the lamb. Um the next thing that I wanted to talk about is uh is more Levitical than Passover. Uh it's more has to do with Day of Atonement, which is um in September in our calendar, what it's new year for the Jewish calendar. Their new year starts in September on um, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, that time frame that week. That's the Jewish new year for us. It's about three fourths of the way through the year, mm-hmm. um, but it's in September. However, um, there was something that Jesus did or was involved in that mimicked and mirrored something that happened on the day of atonement. And the Day of Atonement was when the high priest would go in in the Old Testament once a year, and he would do one grand sacrifice for the sins of the nation of Israel to cover everything for a year. And that's the thing. It was only covered. It wasn't taken away, and they had it had mm-hmm. a shelf life of one year, pretty much. <laughs> and you'd have um, to do it again the yeah. next year. Because it's, it's, it's pretty much – am I wrong in, in saying it was a thing where it's like they were cleansed you know, when he went in that day, but then like the next day you know, they were – it's kind of maybe covering up since I mean, the previous sin, year. Like you, you sin and like, because there's, you know, there's different, there's guilt offering yeah. and, and cleansing and like yeah, there's so know, many sin offerings. Of, and, yeah. but like, yeah, that's the thing. Like you don't have a sufficient sacrifice. So yeah. when you sin, it's like, so was it more of a finite. covering? Was it more of a covering the sins of the previous year or the upcoming year? I think I it think, was more of a previous year. Previous year. Yeah, yeah. That would make more sense. So they would go in once a year and make this sacrifice to cover the sins of the previous year and to go into their new year, you know, fresh, even though it didn't last. <laughs> so that's why they needed to do it it's every like year. Like every New Year's was... resolution. Yeah. Like every New Year's <laughs> resolution. In a way, yeah, that's true. So uh, this is gonna be the is... year I don't do anything wrong and five minutes later. Yeah. <laughs> and then they'd have to have another sacrifice. Yeah. Go get the goat, honey. <laughs> but <laughs> so um yeah, so this is a uh, what I'm going to talk about is more of a ritual that was done on the Day of Atonement, but it was something that Jesus paralleled and mirrored and mimicked um, also on within the same time frame of Good Friday and everything uh, when he was getting ready to be crucified. So um, the scripture reference I have is Leviticus chapter 16, verse 21. And um, I think I referenced it. I think I said it earlier, but the translation I'm reading out of this week is the Christian Standard Bible. Um, normally I read out of the ESV, but I like to, you know, rotate around and everything. Change it up. Yeah. So, uh, Leviticus sixteen twenty one. it says, Aaron will lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the Israelites' iniquities and religious acts, all their sin. He is to put them on the goat's head and send it away into the wilderness by the man appointed for the task. So Aaron at the time was the high priest. Um, mm-hmm. 
the first high priest. And, you know, this is what they did uh, to... Well, technically, if we want to talk about Melchizedek, Melchizedek being the true, first... Yeah. And Adam being the first priest. But yeah, the yeah, Israelite, first, first Israelite priest. <laughs> Levitical priest, I guess. Levitical priest, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's a good point, Adam and Melchizedek. So I guess he'd be the third in a way. <laughs> but um, so what they're talking about here, when he says put his hand on the live goat and confess over it all the sins of the Israelites and everything... This was a practice um, we now call it, you know, the scapegoat um, practice where there was two goats that were chosen. They had to be identical. You know, they had to look alike. You know, it couldn't be like two different breeds of goats or two different species or whatever uh, you want to call it. it. It couldn't be two different kinds of goats. It had to be the same goat. And one would be sacrificed for, you know, so their blood could be applied and sin would be covered up. And the other one would be released uh, with the sin of the people and just released into the wilderness. Um, another, some, another phrase that was used yet to die. Another language, other language that was used is they would send it off and sacrifice it or it was being sacrificed quote unquote in a way to Azazel, which is another study in its own on who that yeah, is. Yeah. We have to cover all that. that. <laughs> so we may do that in Ezekiel, but uh, oh, yeah. or Ezekiel Exodus when we go over Ezekiel, uh, Jeez. When we go over Exodus, when we do our Exodus series, we'll probably cover that more. But Azazel, uh, you know. I thought you was, referenced like, Ezekiel with the Valley of Dry Bones thing, the wilderness motif. Or could there, be but, that too, yeah. But yeah, Exodus, Exodus. <laughs> yeah, Exodus. So uh, so the, the goat was released into the wilderness. One goat was released into the wilderness with the sins of the people on it. So the sin was transferred to that goat and it was released and it was sent to the wilderness to die pretty much and then the other one was sacrificed to cover up the sin so here's the parallel drawn or that jesus drew to that ritual because he's getting ready to atone for everybody's sin so this in a way had to happen um so when you get to the point where jesus is with Pilate and he's being you know questioned and Pilate's trying to figure out what to do with him he Pilate doesn't want to prosecute Jesus, doesn't want to kill him, doesn't want to have anything to do with it. You know, he's uh, probably sick of the Jews, giving him grief. And yeah, washes you know, his hands of it yeah, quite literally. Have, yeah, <laughs> he's he's getting sick of the angry mob of Jews wanting the Jesus to be killed and all that stuff. And that's not, you know, I'm not saying that anti-Semitically. It's just, you know, that was the group that was. And honestly, the, the Romans, like even though even if Pilate did or didn't. Them. Uh, the Romans would would don't like rebellion either. So if somebody is like hailed as the king of the Jews, um, and I yeah. think Pilate cr- still put that on because I remember the, the either the Sanhedrin or the Pharisees, one of them were like or both were like, hey, don't, they say on the inscription, this man called himself yeah. the king of the Jews, and Pilate was like, no, 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 I've written what I've written. King of the Jews. Uh, and I think partly he left it there like to cut as a statement to say, hey, anybody who's rises up as king, anybody who's like a leader, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, here is your king of the Jews and the mm-hmm. Roman Empire just crucified. That's what we'll do to rebels. Another uh, thing that I've heard, maybe I don't know if we should save this for the crucifixion episode, but I guess since we're already here, I'll just mention it. But yeah, I think we'll what, cover a lot of the resurrection next week too. So anything on the yeah. cross and cover today is good too. But they there was there was the verse that says when the the high priest, the Pharisees, Sanhedrin, whoever, when they looked up at the cross and saw Jesus, they were all disgusted. And so there is someone that did a study on why that may be, and they've focused on the sign that they put on the cross. 
mm-hmm. and the way they wrote out his sentence, which was really just describing who he was, mm-hmm. it was the Latin or because it was written in different languages. And I think in yeah, each language, different. however way they whatever way they wrote it, it pretty much wrote out unintentionally Yahweh. So when hmm. they, the Pharisees and the high priests and everything looked up and saw him, they saw God's holy name on the cross associated with him and they were disgusted and all angry about it. But it was symbolically showing this is God, this is Yahweh, and the Romans didn't even do it on purpose. Now, literally said king of the Jews. So, I mean, yeah. you can't get I mean, any more. said pretty plain who he yeah. was. <laughs> yeah. So it was some way that it was written out in translation It you know, offended them. So, uh, but it was only because it was saying he was God in a way, you know, how the way they wrote it out, he which is why they were saying yeah. change it. But he's like, nope, written whatever. Written. <laughs> I've so, written whatever. Um, so yeah. Anyways, bar- yeah. So the scapegoat. Yes, yeah, so the, sa- the the scapegoat. Um, so here's what happened. They Jesus is with Pilate, and I did I forgot to get the scripture reference for that one. So let me Google it here real quick. But um, Jesus and. Uh, Barabbas. Okay. I want to make sure we give you guys references. Um, uh, let me see. So it looks like it's in Matthew 27. While you're looking at that, I just want to quickly say um, the third episode is on Spotify now. It took a little bit to, to get that on there. I'm, I need to change some things there with the intro and outro and all that. But yeah, third episode, like all three episodes are on YouTube, Facebook, Spotify. I did um, listen to like them, that. so they work. <laughs> oh yeah yeah so, so they are there i can attest to that <laughs> mm-hmm. all right so it's matthew 27 um matthew chapter 27 verse 17 and it's just is saying you know the situation um so when they had gathered Pilate said to them whom do you want me to release to you barabbas or jesus who's called christ so he has jesus with him and instead of he wants to you know, cover all his bases. He's like, all right, so how about this? Uh, instead of killing Jesus, what if I just, uh, I'll give you some options here. I'll take the worst. Here, yeah, here's the worst prisoner that I have. And here's Jesus. To my knowledge, Jesus hasn't really done anything bad. So mm-hmm. to me, this is a no brainer because here's a murderous criminal that everyone hates. Mm-hmm. And here's Jesus who hasn't really done anything. Who do you really want to be released and killed? And they still chose Jesus anyway. And he's probably like, you have got to be kidding me. All right, watch my hands. You're fine. Here you go. Release Barabbas. Kill yeah. Him. Just get this over with. So, like, release probably... one and kill the yeah. other. Yeah. So, but here's the thing. So, I looked some into this translation, you know, how the translation works out. And, um, I mean, there is documents and translations on, on this. Um, and it's Jesus in some. And Barabbas. It's in, yeah, it's in some Bibles and not in others. It's, uh, it's one of them things you got to dig for. But, there are other manuscripts and translations that say Barabbas's name was Jesus Barabbas. And then oh, yeah, there was our, our Jesus, Jesus Christ. And it even says, um, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I have heard that. Mm-hmm. I think it said it in this verse, uh, New Living Translation. Uh, which do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? And some of the other more literal translations in the different documents, whatever it says, It'll have it phrased, uh, which do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus Messiah or Jesus who is called Christ? Mm-hmm. So it's like first and last name. Two parallels, of, yeah. Yeah. So remember what I said earlier, the goat had to be the same kind of goat, similar goats. Jesus and Jesus. Jesus Barabbas, 
which is, um, I think Jesus Barabbas meant son of the father. And, um, Mm. then there was Jesus Christ, you know, Messiah, Jesus, the Messiah. So there's a whole, there's a video, I think, um, I can't remember the pastor's name. I think it was the Judas. Judas Smith. Smith. Yeah. He had a cool. Yeah. He did a really cool thing on Barabbas. And, um, I mean, we can't really pull that up to broadcast it. I don't think, but I mean, if you won't Google it, it'll come up. It's easy Mm -hmm. to find, but just Judas Smith Barabbas. And it's a pretty good video. I mean, it's, uh, definitely, uh, you know, really puts things in perspective, but, uh, so yeah, the two identical goats, there was Jesus Barabbas and Jesus Christ. And, one had to be sacrificed. One had to have the sins put on it and released. Mm-hmm. So most of us probably know what happens next. Barabbas was released. Yep. Jesus was killed. So Barabbas mm. symbolically was released like the scapegoat. With that, He encapsulated the sin of Israel because he was in the Hebrews because he was a prisoner. He was a criminal. He did all these bad things. So he was the personification of a sinner because he was in prison because he committed crimes. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's symbolically, he had the sin of just humanity in general on him, not just the Israelites specifically, but humanity. And he was released into to do whatever it is he wanted to do. And who knows and, whether he got saved or not, but G- that's yeah. the love that Jesus displayed on the cross that he did that's, it for yeah, that's another Barabbas, way to think about it. Yeah. even if he never accepted him. Like he did it for mm-hmm. mankind because God loved yeah. the world that he gave his only son. It's like, that is it right there. Like he gave Jesus because he loved us. He loved the world. Yeah. And Jesus took the fall for Barabbas too. Not just for us. He took it for everybody. And so Barabbas was released like the scapegoat. The scapegoat was the one they released into the wilderness. Barabbas Mm -hmm. was released. And then Jesus was the one that was to be sacrificed. So shortly after that was when Jesus was beaten. And then he was hung on the cross. So this happened first, then the beating, then the cross. So... Uh, so that's the scapegoat parallel, which is really interesting. And, you know, that's, I didn't hear, didn't hear it taught a lot growing up. I never really heard it until a couple of years ago. And I believe it was Jonathan Kahn was the first person I heard talk about it. And now it seems to be becoming more of a mainstream thing that people are more aware of, which I think is great because I mean, kind of like I said earlier, you know, deeper theology and deeper Bible study and understanding of scripture and stuff is becoming more mainstream, which is good. Because uh, mm-hmm. it seems like for a long time that was a very specialized thing, but now yeah. it's you know coming more becoming more common, which I think is good. So that's uh, another thing that out. Jesus, yeah. So that's another thing Jesus uh, fulfilled, and you know the good the week of Good Friday and like throughout this whole you know Holy Week and everything, and um, yeah. So the scapegoat. Another thing that he had fulfilled that's kind of a small thing, but something that I always thought was interesting was. When the high priests in Levitical times, when they were sacrificing the animal, the high priest had to lay their hand on or hands. They just had to physically touch the animal for the sin to be transferred to the animal they're sacrificing to symbolically be sacrificing and killing and covering up the sin kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So the high priest had to touch the animal and that way the sin could be transferred. So while Caiaphas did not walk up to Jesus, put his hand on his head, uh, and transfer symbolically his sin, the sin of Israel to Jesus, all of the high priests and the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees, when they still struck they, him. Jesus, when Jesus was being tried before all of them, they all touched him 
just not nicely. <laughs> they all either struck him, pulled his beard, pulled his hair. You know, they did all kinds of stuff to him, but they all pretty much in one way or another touched Jesus. And so while they weren't intentionally transfer transferring Jesus or the sin onto Jesus, they were symbolically carrying out that uh, ritual, that tradition, if you will, but I guess ritual is a better word. They were carrying out that, you know, that part of the sacrifice system where the high priest had to touch the sacrifice before the animal was sacrificed. So that's another interesting thing as it pertains to, you know, things that Jesus fulfilled. And like we had said before, there's a lot of prophecies and a lot of scripture and a lot of things we haven't um, talked about just partially because of time, but there's just so much stuff that it's hard to um, include it all into, you know, just one episode. So we try to pick the best highlights, you know, to throw on here. And, um, you know, that's something that really sticks out, you know, to me when I study this kind of stuff is, you know, these are a couple of the big things that I always um, think about that I always talk about whenever, you know, people ask about it, or it's just things that I really remember more. And, um, you know, it's, it's a, there's a lot behind it. There's a lot of, um, meaning to everything Jesus did. And there's a lot of stuff that he fulfilled that we don't realize it until we really dig into it. And he knew what he was doing. We just didn't necessarily know all of what he was doing. So, uh, like I said, Jesus had the symbolically had the sins of Israel, you know, placed on him before he was sacrificed by the Sanhedrin and the priests and the Pharisees, you know, physically touching him by striking him and everything. So that kind of, uh, well, like I said, they weren't literally placing their hands on him to pronounce the sins of Israel over him, but they still touched him like the high priest was supposed to. So they fulfilled that and placed the sin on Jesus. And then Jesus was put up with Barabbas, Jesus Barabbas, and was given the crowd an option. Uh, Pilate gave the crowd the option, do I release Jesus Barabbas or Jesus Christ, the who you call the so-called Messiah? And the crowd still picked Jesus, even though he was innocent. And so Jesus Barabbas was the scapegoat in that situation to mirror the Levitical uh, Day of Atonement stuff. And Jesus was then made the goat that they sacrificed to cover the sins of the people. But in this case, with Jesus being the ultimate final sacrifice, he didn't just cover the sin. You know, he totally took it away. So that's a, a really interesting you know, parallel that I thought was really significant. And, um, you know, it's really interesting how stuff like that, you know, we, we read over it and we may not realize what actually happened in those situations till we, you know, later on in life, we actually start studying stuff or we hear a sermon on it or whatever. And kind of like what Chandler, me and Chandler talked about in the first episode and the reason why we wanted to start the podcast is we enjoy, you know, studying this kind of stuff and doing this kind of stuff. And people aren't going to just magically know things like this. You know, it needs to be, uh, they need to be told. And so me and Chandler, since we like to study this stuff and we can, you know, tell people about it, you know, that's why, you know, we're doing the podcasts to, you know, tell people about this kind of stuff and inform them. So like I said, you're not just going to wake up and know this stuff. You know, this, I didn't just know this stuff. I had to study it. Or in this case, I heard it, someone talk about it or preach about it. So, um, you know, that's what really what we're wanting to do with the podcast is 
you know, inform people of this stuff who may not even know where to look. I mean, you don't know what you don't know. So um, hopefully, you know, with all this stuff that we're going over, we're learning or helping you learn something new and we're informing you of, you know, stuff that you've never, hopefully never heard before. And you can then, it can then encourage you and inspire you to study further. And, um, you know, some of it you have probably heard, you know, it's, you know, there's some stuff that's just, you know, that's just part of what we believe. And it's part of our, um, kind of our, um, what's the word, our orthodoxy, our ritual, our, just our belief system. And like the blood of the lamb thing is something that's often talked about in a phrase that almost everybody's heard, but it's still important to talk about it and to still uh, know what it means. Because if you don't, if you, you can't always assume that people are just going to always know what the blood of the lamb is and why Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. And it's important to always, you know, still go over that so that even if there's new Christians or, you know, whatever the case may be, you want to make sure people, you know, it's always important to just still go over that. So that's why I want to make sure we still, even though that's a popular thing that people uh, have heard before, it's a popular story or it's something that's a phrase that's known. It's so important to go over why it's there, what it means. So the blood of the lamb is definitely the biggest story. The biggest part of what Easter is about is Jesus dying as the sacrificial lamb in his blood, um, you know, covering our sin. So that's the biggest things for me that I want to go over was, you know, the blood of the lamb, Jesus being the lamb symbolically in his symbolically in his blood um, covering our sin or not covering our sin, uh, taking it away. And then we have, you know, Jesus being our scapegoat and we have, you know, being him being sacrificed in place of, you know, us or being sacrificed so that we can, you know, spend eternity with him and we don't have to, um, be separated from him eternally. And, uh, yeah, then we have, you know, the, just this, a finer detail. There's a lot of finer details, but one specifically that I always, you know, thought was interesting was the priests when they struck Jesus and everything they were symbolically, you know, doing what the Levitical priest would do and transferring the sin of the people onto Jesus by just touching him in some way. So that's the gist of, you know, what I have, uh, to say about, you know, Jesus being the sacrificial lamb. And I know we've uh, lost Chandler <laughs> and, um, you know, so I just want to make sure I covered all that. And let me see if I can get him uh, back on here for you guys. Um, so just bear with us. I know we had some issues last week, too. So uh, I believe it is his Internet uh, gives him issues because he's on uh, school campus uh, doing that with us. So let me see if I can get him back on here. So just uh, hold on for just there he is. All righty. Uh-oh. Got some feedback there for a minute. All right. Now we're back. I can hear you. Man. Good, time, good timing, too, because I just finished my monologue. So. Okay. <laughs> Man. That is, that's what I, you might, you're kind of chopping choppy in and out again. You're still on here, but it's uh, uh, choppy. Okay, there you are. Man. Man, yeah, I think I need to get a new desktop or something because this, I don't know if it's what what it is with this uh, laptop. This, but, yeah, I know that happened last week too. Or desktop. I might have to change to my laptop. That's, Man. yeah, that's, I don't know what's <laughs> going on with this computer, but 
No, but I had a good time. Be. I just wrapped up, you know. That might be the last time I use it, though. All right. Yeah. Well, it really doesn't want us to talk about this stuff. Apparently. I know. As we always say, the devil is a liar. Yes. <laughs> like the third time we've had to say it. Technical but, issues, uh, man. That first episode yeah. of this. I think the second episode went the most, like, the smoothest of all. Yeah. Uh, but I was just saying, um, you know, wrapping up everything. I mean, there's a lot more to go into as far as, you know, what Jesus' sacrifice accomplished, the parallels with everything. I know we talked about a lot of the vehicle stuff last week, and I was trying to go over more of, like, Passover this week. And there's a lot more stuff that we could go over for the sake of time. We just, you know, don't. Maybe next year we'll cover more of what we didn't cover this year. Um, but the main point was just, you know, we like to go over the deeper stuff because that's, you know, the reason why we started the podcast was people don't know what they don't know. And because we like to study this stuff, we want to, you know, put that out there for them to learn and to hear. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, you know, that's a big thing is why we want to do this uh, podcast. And we can't do everything, but we want to do enough that it hopefully can um, spark enough interest for you to continue on in your own study. Yeah. So when we go so over... Launching pad. Yeah. So when I go over stuff like, you know, the priests striking Jesus symbolically fulfilled, the priest had to touch the sacrifice to transfer the sin onto it. And then, you know, Jesus Barabbas and Jesus Christ, you know, the symbolism with the scapegoat and everything. Hopefully that'll spark some interest where uh, when you're doing your Bible study, you either see things differently as you study or, you know, it'll spark you to really dig deeper into your own personal study. So, um, but yeah, the biggest things I wanted to go over, uh, like I'd said before, you know, priests laying their hands on Jesus, uh, the scapegoat parallel and the blood of the lamb, just the very basic, you know, everyone knows that phrase, but it's uh, important to not always just assume everyone know what knows what it means. And it's important to, you know, still talk about it so that mm-hmm. everyone still knows, you know, the importance of it. So, yeah. so that's what I got as far as Jesus and the Passover and, um, that kind of stuff. So with nice. that, uh, I know last week we ran power, right? Uh, so on this, on this week, we'll run counter left on two, and I'll hand it off to you. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. And I know I missed the, the tail end of that there. Um, but yeah, I want to start with a question. Um, okay. Do you guys, or, you know, you, Seth, because you're, uh, do you know, <laughs> I know, you know, we talked about this before. What do you think the mark of Cain was? Uh, <laughs> I wanted to say something, but I'm not going to say it. Uh, Mark of Cain. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the Mark of Cain, and you, you guys can comment too. So you can always comment. Like, what is what are your theories, or what have you heard about the Mark of Cain? So, so I think some people say the Mark of Cain was a tattoo uh, because they want to make tattoos cool. But uh, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. definitely a lot of theories. <laughs> and so yeah, there's a lot of theories. I want to briefly offer some views on the the Mark of Cain. And kind of see how the interpretations of the Mark of Cain were. And then I'll tell you what my uh, interpretation or theory of the Mark of Cain is. And so I'm going to start here. Um, actually, I'll go to Exodus 3. <laughs> yeah, I know. We've been in Exodus the whole time. So, so. Moses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's, uh, let's go to that. And this won't. Yeah, this will be the last thing we cover today. So uh, I know we're already at an hour and eleven, and so let's see if I can, we can end this in an hour and a half. To that way, we get like a, you know, shorter and shorter. Right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, so and the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. So you have Cain 
right? If you guys know the story, you have Adam and Eve, you have Cain and Abel, right? Um, Cain kills his brother Abel. Um, you know, if you guys know that whole story, I'm sure that's even in popular culture. Like, you, you surely, you know, a lot of you guys know the story of Cain. Um, and perhaps you don't, you can comment here. We can go into more detail on that. But uh, I'm going to assume that you guys have heard the story before, maybe a church or Sunday school or something, mm -hmm. or, or in some way, shape, or form. And so God curses Cain, right? And Cain is like, my punishment is too, you know, it's too much. It's more than I can bear, right? If my punishment is more than I can bear, uh, you know, it's just like, it, it's, it's too much for me, yeah. essentially. And so God is like, oh, well, well because he says that in, in follow-up too. It's like, it's more than I can bear. And anybody who finds me will kill me which is interesting. So Cain is worried about people around, you know, they're killing him. And a lot of people think it was just Adam and Eve and their kids, but Cain obviously knows there's other people around, which we'll cover in our Genesis series, but that's also a very interesting story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you have this kind of like interesting thing where Cain is scared of people killing him, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and another interesting thing that I thought about was, you know, Jesus, or not Jesus, um, God, you know, Cain, he gives Cain the sentence and Cain, instead of being you know, like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. He's like, man, what about me? Kind of like, more than repentance. Yeah. yeah. If you maybe he would, if he would have repented, what would have? And some people yeah. thought maybe that was they repenting, but you know, I don't know. It, yeah. it seems a little like more uh, on the consequence than it is the. Yeah. Know. But yeah. Anyway, so he, yeah, he, he's like, my punishment's more than I can bear, and. He's like, anybody who finds me will kill me. And God is like, hold up. No, I'm going to put a mark on you. Uh, lest any who find you, you know, should, should attack. And he says this in the third person, which is interesting. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. So this mark, right? And, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting. So people over, over the years have uh, tried to interpret what this means. And so I'm not going to get into the medieval interpretations or the Renaissance or, or you know, early interpretations quite uh today but let's skipping ahead after you know we have go through history um i want to debunk something here so there during the colonial era there was a lot of people who thought the mark of cain or the curse of canaan was um you know like skin color mm -hmm. like it was a racist theory yeah. uh in the colonial time period, you know, uh, that was used to justify slavery. They would say, no, uh, the reason why, uh, you know, the, the you know, justification for the colonial era, it's like, you know, those in Africa, those are the descendants of Cain, those in Europe, those are the descendants of Seth, whatever. Uh, mm. That's not true. Okay. That's, so, pretty, that's pretty terrible. <laughs> yeah. And so they associated, know you know, yeah. So Renaissance or, you know, enlightenment, Europeans, um, associated the mark of Cain or the curse of Cain or both with uh, black skin. So that is, mm. you know, they thought, well, the mark is the mark of Cain was, uh, was black skin. Uh, that's one uh, horrible theory. Uh, yeah. That's a stretch. That's What's one time. That's one time where I'll, I'll, I'll get on the white, white man, bad thing. Cause man, the, the, some of the Europeans and conquistadors did some really stupid stuff. <laughs> Not just yeah. that, but I mean, like, you know, there are lots of other things. Some of the stuff they did was pretty stupid. But, and yeah. part of it is bad <laughs> biblical interpretation. And so yeah. when you, when 
you know, biblical interpretation, they thought, oh, is the mark of Cain, you know, dark skin? And it's like, well, no, it, like at the time, a lot of people thought this. And this was actually a big interpretive, uh, you know, thing. And so they they tried to associate hunter-gatherers, you know, in Africa with the wanderings of Cain. And, and they, mm-hmm. all this theory, right? And it really didn't, it's not true to biblical uh, hermeneutics. And that's why biblical interpretation is so important. And some people mm-hmm. say, it's like, oh, just read the scripture plainly. It's like, yeah, plainly, but you're going to filter it through your context. And the most right. the most important context to filter it through is its historical context. It's the context it was written in. <laughs> it's the context. Is, surprise! It's yeah. the context it was written in, not your own context. And so yeah. you have a kind of racist um, colonial era Europeans that are reading the Bible through that lens. Now, are there uh, any denominations or groups around that still believe that? Yeah, that's actually my next point. Look at that. <laughs> so obviously, there's been a lot of pushback to this in recent years, and also with good biblical interpretation that has said, no, the mark of Cain, of course, is not black skin, right? That is that is a terrible theory that came out. And so what is the mark of Cain then? Uh, but going back, so there's different theories on the mark of Cain. One horrible one, like we mentioned, was the, you know, the association that Enlightenment Europeans during the colonial era associated it with dark skin. Now, that isn't the mark of Cain, uh, surprise. Uh, but there were a lot of people who believed this at the time. And so one of the big groups also that still kind of retained a lot of that in recent years was the Mormon community or the Church of the Latter-day Saints. Uh, And so it's actually, so Joseph Smith himself, who at times was pro-slavery and at times was anti-slavery, especially he was anti-slavery at the end of his life, but he he thought this was true. Uh, Joseph Smith and, you know, Mormons, they thought that, um, you know, that it was the, that it was associated with dark skin, right? The mark of Cain. Hmm. Uh, and so, which is pretty terrible, right? Yeah. And so you have here, and I like, I'm going to go through some resources here. I have a couple articles of things here. Um, and here, uh, I have a friend here. It says, good topic. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, sir. Yeah, yeah. It's a good one and controversial. So, you know, what is the mark of Cain, right? And so right. there's been different theories. One associated, like we talked about, with... Uh, yeah, actually, that brings me to my next point. It's in their scriptures, so I was actually going to point that out. So before I get that, uh, get to that. So here's kind of a summary, right? Um, yeah, so the church's first president, Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, reasoned that black skin was the result of the curse of Cain and the curse of Ham. As early as 1844, leaders suggested that black people were less valiant in the pre-existence, right? Many leaders, including Ezra Benson, were uh, vocally opposed to the civil rights movement. Uh, before the civil rights movement, the LDS church stance went largely unnoticed and unchallenged for around a century. So, hmm. pretty crazy, right? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it talks about the, you know, pro-slavery, anti-slavery movements. But like you pointed out here, hold on, uh, it's in their scriptures, right? So, here's some scripture in the Book of Mormon. And so it says here in the book of Moses uh, 540 in the book of Mormon. uh, And I, the Lord, set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And then it says uh, in Moses 7, 8, For behold, the Lord shall curse the land with much heat, and the barrenness thereof shall go forth forever. And there was a blackness came upon all the children of Canaan, and they were despised among all people. LDS, yeah. That's crazy, right? Yeah. 
And so then, then there was an, an uh, again, in the Mormon scriptures as well, the, in Alma 3, 6 through 9, it says, And the skins of the Lamanites were dark, you know, again, same association, according to the mark which was set upon their fathers, hmm. in this language, uh, which was a curse upon them because of their transgression and their rebellion against their brethren, who consisted of Nephi, Jacob, and Joseph, and Sam, who were just and holy men. Hmm. Um let me go down here and then further and skip some of this stuff. Yeah, distinguish their seed. Yeah, and then also against race, like what they thought as race mixing, which is crazy because it's in the scriptures, right? It says <laughs> that Lord God might preserve his people that they may might not mix and believe in incorrect traditions which would prove their destruction. Mm. And it came to whoever did mingle his seed with the Lamanites did bring the same curse upon his seed. Wow. What? That's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what? And yeah. so, God is not racist. The Mormon yeah. God, however, apparently is. <laughs> so, according to the Book of Mormon, not only is dark skin a curse, but interracial relationships are too. Uh, That's pretty bad. Yeah, and and there's other references here too. I mean, I'm skipping quite a bit here. You know, in uh, Nephi, yeah, the Book of Mormon. I mean, there's other you know associations with whiteness mm. and darkness, and like all these weird theories right yeah uh so even though this theory of associating the mark of cain with dark skin is predates mormonism it mm -hmm. mormonism definitely did champion it and take it upon themselves and it's even in the scriptures which is that was their interpretive method so when they read the mark of cain they thought that that's what it was mm -hmm. right and so that's one theory that was prevalent in the kind of enlightenment era now people realize that this was not only a bad theory or a racist theory, um, <laughs> but there's there there was better uh, biblical interpretation uh, as years go on, right? And more right. as we restore the historical context of the Bible, we're realizing, wait, mm -hmm. the mark has nothing to do with dark skin. Yeah. Uh, and also just to kind of close the, the whole Mormon thing here, this is also characteristic of why uh, the Mormon, you know, the church is uh kind of predominantly white european descent yeah. uh and so here's some statistics here so in the regular population um it's more than this now but this is kind of an older statistic uh african americans who don't identify as hispanic uh are more than 11 percent of the total population right mm -hmm. and it's probably more than that even now uh but churches mormon churches are less than 3% African-American. Hmm. Wow. I yeah. mean, it's kind of easy to see why. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's in their very scriptures that kind of view the mark of Cain that way. Yeah. Uh, now, what's even crazier, so in the recent years, and this, I didn't have time to pull this up, but I read on their website, they have this whole thing of debunking that, of what the mark of Cain isn't, and that they've kind of backtracked. Oh, uh, okay. And so it makes sense, right? You kind of have to... And you know, in today's environment, with better you know interpretive methods of scripture, but also just you know the um, thankfully the backlash against racism in our culture. Yeah. And so there is, yeah, there that was one theory, which again, Mormons themselves are not looking from their own scriptures uh, <laughs> back then. Yeah. So that's one theory of the Mark of Cain, which again you can probably see why that one's horrible. But that one is a predominant one, and I've even heard this from people that thought that that was the case. They, they yeah. think that, and you know, when you ask people, what's the market gain? And it's like, they've probably heard of this theory before. 
Yeah. Um, you know, it's again, it's just a racist theory that was because of the lens of the people at the time reading it. Yeah. And so, well, what are some other um, views on the Mark of Cain? What, well, here's, what here's, here's one. Here's one that I've heard that's like kind of. Uh, I don't, it's you can't really take it seriously, but I thought it was funny. Um, Cain is Bigfoot, or Bigfoot is Cain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 I heard that one too. That was his mark. <laughs> yeah, he he became Bigfoot. <laughs> so if you find Bigfoot, you just ask him, "Hey, were you Kane?" No, yeah. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So here's a journal article. So I'm gonna go back to this, but it's from the Cambridge Press on behalf of Harvard Divinity School. So this is you know a legit source from 2007 uh, from the Harvard Theological Review. Uh, the Mark of Cain revealed at last, and he thinks he kind of found it. And so his view is, um, well, in, in summary here, I'm going to kind of read the abstract. So, and the Lord put a mark on Cain. What exactly is this mark? The biblical text apparently does not say. Nonetheless, its purpose is clear, so that one, no one uh, who came upon him would kill him. Thus, one natural question is, can we infer that the mark uh, was from the purpose it was meant to serve, but another question is whether there may be other indicators in the text that reveal the true nature of the mark. So, essentially, he's going to argue here that the mark of Cain is not a physical mark. Okay? okay. So this is so now you're thinking, okay, you have one theory which is racist and that's a physical thing. Now you have another theory of the, of the mark of Cain, which is a non-physical like it's uh you know it's not a mark itself at all and part of this is because what he'll argue is that the word is a sign okay so um like in other scriptures and i'll cover that too uh like in ezekiel 9 which i'll get to the word is top which means a mark but here it's actually the word auth with mean which means sign so it's not quite a mark as a marking but it's a sign. So a sign could be physical, doesn't have to be physical, right? Mm. So that's going to yeah. be his argument. Um, and so, yeah, let's let's skip to page two here. So uh, doo -doo -doo -doo. I'm gonna okay, I'm gonna save that. Um, so classified puzzles up for Mark. Arcane's mark in three ways. First, a mark on the body, which is one proposed uh, in the light of the cultural analogies could indicate such thing. punishment, ownership, religious devotion, or protection. Secondly, a movement of his body, um, which again goes to a little trembling aspect. Thirdly, a blemish associated with his body. These are physical things. Um, but the author of this is going to critique all of that, those medieval Jewish views, and he's also going to critique the, um, the two interpretation saying it's non-physical uh and so let's read here so although the history of this interpretive debate is rich and fascinating the results unsurprisingly are inconclusive although i think that most general biblical readers today think in terms of some kind of mark on cain's forehead which you know is like the physical view most would say and that's kind of an over overstatement would say that uh we just do not and cannot know precisely what the text you know investigates uh, it may be more fruitful, therefore, to sidestep the age-old question and to focus on other dimensions of the text. So, essentially, his argument uh, here is going to be, we don't know if it's a physical mark or not. Uh, we don't know 
conclusively what it is. And so we're going to look at other things from the text that maybe point to what the purpose of the mark or the sign. Let's start calling it sign now because, again, the Hebrew word here is of, so it's a sign, not a, a mark, right? So we've got a sign on... Um, and have the reference here. Okay, page three and five. All right. So let's go to page three here. So he's going to reread re it through this new lens um, and offer kind of a new interpretation of this. Okay. And so. Okay, more of a. Uh, so one see the text with fresh eyes. One such moment came a few years ago. Um, wait, hold on. I lost here. Actually, it'd be more helpful if I just skip to page four here. Okay, here we go. So his argument here is that there there are, I suggest, and this is him talking, uh, two prime indicators within the Hebrew text as to the nature of Cain's mark with a third supplementary indicator. First, there is a choice of preposition to indicate the relationship of the mark to Cain, uh, you know, Lamed, to, for, if one wanted to speak of a mark upon Cain himself, uh, either on his forehead or elsewhere on the, his person, the natural preposition would be, um, you know, it's Hebrew words here, Lamed, and, a, you know, yeah, upon, I like the word that upon, uh, or the preposition upon. The use of this preposition must one ask whether the meaning of the text may in fact be that the mark was not any kind of sign upon Cain's body, rather the sign, whatever it is, is for Cain. Okay, so it's for Cain, not necessarily upon Cain. That's his view. Okay. Uh, in the sense that the text goes on to specify that it is for his protection so that no one should kill him. To be sure, his function does not rule out that there could uh, that it could be a mark on the body that fulfills this role. Uh, and most scholars who notice that the force, you know, and then it, it goes on. Um, so he, he's basically going to argue in this entire thing. And I'll, I'll paraphrase it now because, you know, I don't want to take up too much time with this particular article. But his argument is essentially going to be that it's the the mark of Cain isn't an actual, it's not a two, it's not a physical thing, it's a sign. And the sign itself is the statement of protection. So it's God's protective prophecy or protective claim over Cain that is the sign. Okay. Uh, now, that might be a little bit of a stretch. So again, at the end, I'm going to give my view, but I'm just kind of going through different theories here. So his theory is, so you have, again, the racist theory. <laughs> <laughs> you have this theory from, you know, the this article from 2007 from uh, Harvard Divinity School, which is argues that it's for Cain, and therefore does not necessitate a physical sign or mark. Okay. Uh, that it could it could be the literally the statement itself, the sign itself. Okay. Okay. Um, I think there might be some problems with that, but he has a point there. It is for Cain, not upon Cain. So okay. the, the what this sign is, it is for his protection, and it's not necessarily, you know, a thing on his body. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I can agree with that, but you know that's one theory. <laughs> Um, oh, and uh, actually bringing up another comment here. So it reminds me of the mark of the beast in Revelation. People dispute whether it is a physical marker or a spiritual sign indicating. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll actually pull up Re Revelation in a second. So hold that cool. thought too. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So what is a sign, uh, mark or sign, right? 
And so there's another theory. Uh, so a 2009 article now, so skipping two years ahead, somebody else had their own theory on the Mark of Cain. And it says the so-called Mark of Cain has long been thought to be something God puts upon Cain's body or a trait Cain would possess to deter would-be avengers. Often overlooked, however, are the details following the story in uh, 4.17, dealing with the building of the city, which may well indicate the sign. Uh, in this short uh, note, I argue that the sign might be best be understood not as a mark upon the body, but something God established for Cain's protection, perhaps a city of refuge. Uh, mm. And again, I'm, I don't want to read the whole thing, so I'm going to just paraphrase this as well, this article. If you're interested uh, in this article as well, I can always send it to you if, if you want. Um, both of these are journal articles, so they're peer-reviewed, you know, those two, if you guys are interested. That's always good. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> it's a good yeah, two, two theories. So, you have, again, uh, you have the traditional kind of tattoo view, right? And then you have these two other views that it's uh, it's a sign for Cain's protection or fulfilling of that, but not necessarily a mark in the body or a physical marker, right? Okay. So, you have these two theories, and part of that is because of the Hebrew and what they're arguing here in these articles. Um, one is saying that it's the sign, of, it's the statement of protection itself. This one is saying that, no, since it's speaking in the third person, it's after the fact saying that, oh, he's afraid of being a wanderer and a fugitive on the earth. And yet he goes on and builds a city of refuge. And that city of refuge is God's protection and the work upon which oh, okay. is, is the sign that was fulfilled. Right. So he's kind okay. of like retroactively, um, you know, interpreting it. So after the fact, does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. So that the sign was the fact that he wasn't killed and that he wasn't a fugitive and he wasn't a wanderer. That that was the sign that he ended up fulfilling it. Kind of like going back okay. to Moses, you know, it's like God's uh, promise was, you know, like, need a sign that the Exodus will be successful or like that, you know. He's like, when you return yeah. here next year on this mountain, then you'll know. It's like, I need okay. more than that. So <laughs> think along that trajectory, right? So there's okay. two theories, right? So now we went through kind of three or four theories. Yeah. Um, now, now I'm gonna taking all four of those theories. What the mark of Cain is. I'm gonna kind of offer my conjecture here, my theory on what the mark of Cain is. Okay. Um, and this is based on Ezekiel nine four. Okay. So let me pull that up here. So it says, and the Lord said to him, pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. Okay. And, um, yeah, I mean, this is, if you read the whole Ezekiel passage here, basically those who have this mark um, are going to be saved from the destructions and abominations that are going to come upon hmm. uh, them, right? like God's remnant kind of thing. Yeah. And interesting enough here, this is pretty explicit. Okay. Uh, it says a mark on the foreheads. And the word here is not off, like in um, Genesis. But that's the Jewish towards, word, right? Yeah, the Jewish word here is tov. Now, tov. it's tov, which is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So let me um, share something here. Can you guys see this pretty well? So going back to this previous slide that we we talked about with the whole tetragrammaton. So you see, oh, you should take down the uh, scripture because I think it's blocking someone. Oh, okay, okay, okay. 
There we go. You guys see the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Atov? Mm. What, is that, what does that look like to you guys? That looks a little familiar. A mark, a sign, this, like the, you know, because all letters have their own individual meaning. So Tav, right? Atav, um, which is also the le last letter in the Hebrew alphabet. In its earliest form, is a cross. That's it. Now, hmm. now you might say that doesn't, uh, Tav looks very different now. Uh, you're, you would be right. So Tav does look very different now. It looks more like it's Aramaic version because of Aramaic influence here. Mm. Uh, but if you kind of see the um, evolution of language here with with letters and characters, the Tav, where we get our letter T, because the Phoenicians uh, gave the Greeks their script of letters, and thus the you know the Romans and yeah, all all of this European letters here, yeah, which kind of mix together. And anyways, so we get our that's why the T is across. Hmm. So the Tav, the t you see the T, the Tav. Oh yeah. Most so ancient form is looks like this. Looks like a cross, mm. and then you kind of see how the differences between Hebrew, Egyptian, Canaanite, you know, Phoenician, and then Paleo Hebrew uh, much later, um, Arabian, Greek, Punic, yeah, Greek Latin. You see the T here, the Tav, Aramaic, the Tav, Samaritan Hebrew. Yeah. Um, you see the kind of evolution here, but it's all kind of like a, this T, right? It's this uh, lend of of the, you know, it's looks like a cross. Yeah. Very, very interesting. And just to be clear what, what Tav means. All right. So Tav is a picture of two cross sticks. So you're thinking of the the earliest pictorial kind of demonstration of, of what this is, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the Tav is a picture of two cross sticks. The sticks are placed to show a person they had arrived, special place. The sticks were used as a reminder of an agreement between two people. So like think a covenant agreement, Think X marks mm. the spot. Pirates. If a pirate <laughs> on an island and he found treasure and he buried the treasure, what does he put on top? An X. Yeah, a top, right? An X. <laughs> X marks the spot, always. It's yeah. the easiest, psychologically, it's this it's this thing in our minds that it's like, this is where something, like, it's a spot. It's marked, right? It's yeah. marked when it has a, when it has across right mm -hmm. when it has the x right x marks the spot so there's something just deeper psychologically here as well with this cross language that marks something it's a it's a sign it's a mark right and you kind of see the modern with the hebrew the paleo hebrew the pictographical early canaanite proto canaanite all that stuff uh language uh, yeah I'll, I'll wait for that <laughs> <laughs> so going back to um Let's go back here to Genesis. All right. Okay. But this isn't Tav. This is Auth, right? Now, they, uh, hold on. they're both kind of related. And okay. one, the Tav obviously mean, can mean sign as well. But they come kind of from a similar root in the fact that the way you spell Tav is a, and I have kind of a Hebrew uh, reference point here. So the Tav is a, uh, you know, the the Tav, right? Mm -hmm. And I have it here. It's it's uh, two letters. I actually wish I would have brought it out a little. But actually, you know what? This will actually work even better. Um. Yeah. 
never mind that that doesn't work better. Uh, <laughs> so so the the just think the tov right now yeah. auth. Uh, I thought I had the reference, but anyway, I'll have to do it from memory. So auth, which is the word find used in Genesis, is a reversal of it. So instead of oh, okay. tov, it's auth. So it's it's swap like the letters are kind of like swapped, right? Oh, okay. So auth, right? So the tov is the last letter of auth, right? Which is in Genesis, and then in Ezekiel, swap the word for um, mark instead of sign. It's kind of like the the characters are kind of swapped a little bit. So instead of auth, it's ta. It's ta. Like it's oh, okay. it's like flipped. So it's ta or ta is uh, it's mark. It starts with the ta. It starts with the t, right? It okay. starts with the t, and so ta. Now sign, which is what's used here in Genesis, think it's the word off, which is sign. Uh, but they kind of come, you can see the correlation here, right? Within the language, yeah. uh, between auth and top, it's like the same root kind of, it's just flop, it's just flipped, right? Where the top, okay. it ends with the T or top and one starts with the T or the top, right? Okay. And it's spelled out. Um, so I say this because it's not so unrelated to this and people have picked up on this too. And even going back to the 2007, uh, article from, the Harvard Divinity School, they, they noticed that there is a popular theory with the, um, the, cr the cross, right? And so they, they even made it an effort to mention it here. And they say, within Ezekiel 9, right, uh, it says, as a sign that they are to be spared, they receive the mark upon their forehead, a sign designed as ta, right? The last letter of the Hebrew alphabet which in the most ancient form known to us was depicted as a cross, right? And I showed that. Yeah. Uh, and this is in, again, that article from 2007. Since the purpose of this mark is explicitly uh, apotrophic, uh, I can't even pronounce that word. I'm too dumb for that. <laughs> uh, although for divine wrath rather than human aggression, it constitutes an obvious analogy to Cain's apotropaic, again, that word, apotropaic mark. Uh, and the regular imaginative construal of the latter via the former is hardly surprising. So hmm. kind of like what I'm kind of doing now, I'm reading. So as an interpretive lens, right, Ezekiel 9 back into Genesis, uh, you know, 4 here to where, okay, these words are related between sign and mark. And yet we see in Ezekiel, which I'll pull back at here, God literally putting a tav, which is a cross upon the you know, the remnant here wow. uh, to be spared. And so, again, this is all Old Testament. So yeah. you're thinking in the Old Testament, you have God putting his sign is the Tav, the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It is finished. And I think that's pretty interesting to Jesus saying it is finished oh, yeah. on the cross. I am the Allah, you know, I am the Alpha and the Omega. And, right, uh, yeah. Uh, I was going to point am, that out too. Yeah, I am the Aleph and the Tav in the Hebrew there. Yeah. So in Revelation, I'm, you know, instead of the Alpha and the Omega, which is the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet, I'm the Aleph and the Tav. The Tav is the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Hmm. So it's not all of like the fruit necessarily. It's Aleph, right? Aleph. Oh yeah, yeah. Aleph. Or not the fruit, the vegetable, or whatever. Oh yeah, I I'm keep saying Aleph, right? Like Aleph. Aleph. Yeah, Aleph. Okay. <laughs> it's the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and the last one, Tav. It is, you know, it's the last one. So God puts a Tav on. In this vision here with Ezekiel on the people, 
and they will be saved. They will be spared. Now, we see a similar parallel here in Genesis 4, where guess what the ark does to Cain? It spares him from Mm. the consequences that he was fearful of. Mm. So Cain sinned. God puts a an oath, a sign, on him again, which is the flipped word of that is tov, which is the cross. Mm. It's a sign on him, and lest any who see him should be, you know, should kill him. So he was spared his yeah. fear of, like he deserved wrath, he deserved death, but yet he was given, you know, he was spared through the sign upon yeah. him. Um, and so I think. Yeah, this is goes pretty pretty deep into that. So yeah, just to um, respond to it even more. So going back to Ezekiel nine four. So this is from the Cambridge Bible for schools and colleges. So uh, it says, you know, command to seal those to be spared and to slay without discretion all others. Set a mark, or the word is tav, letter of the alphabet, the old form of which was a cross. The term used here in Job 31-35 of a mark in general, though perhaps a top or cross was the simplest form the mark could take. Again, this goes back to just psychologically the simplest thing that you can uh, make. It's just a cross. X marks the spot. Uh, Though in this passage, the passage is imitated in Revelation 7. Though the mark there is the name of God, all who mourned over the abominations done in Jerusalem were to be thus sealed and spared. So you have a mark on a form. They're spared. It's a cross in Ezekiel's vision, All right? Hmm. And so, how did so then, Chandler? How do you respond to the kind of um, what you would say argument for what they're saying? That it's like Mark four, Cain. Maybe it's the city of refuge. Maybe it's all that. The later, you know, um, interpretations that it's not a physical time or a tattoo or whatever. Yeah. And uh, I would agree with this. Um, the Faith Life Study Bible Commentary here, um, where it says here, so the Cain, Yahweh put a sign on Cain, again, the sign, because it's Oth, not Tav, sign on Cain. While the precise nature of this mark is unclear, it is visible, so here's the key word, it is visible, and it is for Cain's protection. So that's what the other articles are getting at. They want to get around this visible, visible interpretation, and they say, well, it's here's the purpose of it, and it's linked to the literary, you know, what's going on in the story. Which I agree with, and what Logan, you know, um, this kind of commentary is is getting at is yes, it's for Cain's protection. Since the Hebrew preposition here, like was pointed out in the 2007 Harvard article, yeah, uh, usually. So since the Hebrew preposition here usually translates on, maybe translated for, the phrase could be translated Yahweh put put or placed a mark for Cain. This would indicate that Yahweh marked something for Cain's protection, not necessarily him or on him. Um, but this, what's, what's interesting here is, and it goes on to say, and even in that first part, it's a visible mark. It's something that, and it doesn't make sense in the story that if he's worried about people killing him and people go to him and there's nothing on him and they say, Hey, I'm going to kill you. And he's like, Oh, wait, God spoke to me. It's like, how would we believe you? (laughs) (laughs) Or if they say, wait, don't kill me. I'm a, I'm about to build this city. Yeah. Of refuge. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, if he's yeah. concerned about the consequences of his sin as death. Yeah. It this this Mark Four Cain language uh would have to be something that is displayable. 
would yeah. have to be something that is not just for him, but on him to yeah. protect him. Because what else would protect him? Yeah. And if you see somebody marked with an X on their forehead, I mean, even you see this in kind of gangs in, in certain right. uh, countries where they put a, a their symbol of the gang on a person, and yeah. you don't want to mess with that person. Yeah. Because when you do something with that person, you're messing with the person who put the mark on him, right? Yeah. So again, this just psychologically goes, is, is human nature. If you yeah. see somebody marked with a mark on their forehead and you mess with them, you realize, and this is also in covenants and tribes. And yeah. David uh, Livingston talked about this when he went to Africa to minister the gospel and preach. Uh, there would be a hostile tribe that was wanting to capture him and kill him. And what he would do is he would pull down his sleeve and they would see all of the marks on his, uh, on his forearm as covenants. Because to make a covenant, you would slice the arm and you would, like as brothers, like, like this, mm. and join the blood together. And so when you see all the scars, when you see the marks, yeah, they realize, oh, wait, he has an alliance. Mm. Uh, even in just tribal, like in, in basic yeah. human psychology, if you see marks and covenants and scars on somebody that is clearly not a battle scar, but clearly a, a covenant mark, yeah, right? Uh, you don't want to mess with that person because when you're, you're then messing with whoever he made an allyship with or covenant with. Or kind of like uh, if you're in the military and you have the patch of whatever group you're with or just that you're with the military. Yeah. Something like that. So I would agree with, again, the, the faith life here, which, uh, you know, again, they're saying they're not committing to this on, on what the precise nature is. It is visible, but they say it is visible and it is for Cain's protection. So both for Cain and has to be something upon, like on him, even though the preposition is not upon, there has to be something visible on Cain to indicate his protection for him. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Uh, let's see. It's a, it says, even the Romans marked a person for certain crimes have been making it forbidden for anyone of them pending execution. The word is homo uh, sacer. He was sacred or consecrated by virtue of his crime. That's a really mm -hmm. good insight. I didn't even know that, but that That's just goes back to what we were talking about with the covenant language, allyship, yeah. the whole marks, because when you see somebody marked, you don't want to mess with that person yeah. because they're marked. And so when Cain is worried about people killing him, he has a mark. And what is the mark? What is the sign? Um, again, I think if you flip the, you know, the sign it comes from the same root here. And again, if you go to really ancient form and here, what is, is it, it's a sign for him, but is it a mark? Is it a top? Yeah. And so people date, um, Cain, anywhere from 70,000 BC, anywhere for, to 4,000 BC. So you have quite a gap here as far as there's a lot of different uh, theories on when Cain lived. Uh, is this, yeah. You know, anywhere between 70,000 to 4,000 BC, right? Some people try to push it earlier or later. Some people will say, oh, you know, push it back into the 100,000. I think that's probably impossible uh, or, or unlikely. Um, but let's, given the, you know, anywhere from 70,000 to 4,000 BC. Now, seven or seventy. Seventy. So 70, anywhere. Yeah. So people's theories on when Cain lived is any seventy to four thousand BC. Okay. Now going back to this, just to put that the rest about the whole. Uh, well, it's like well, if let's just say he was back in or seventy thousand BC. Uh, did they even have the top or the marks or anything like that? Well, here the earliest human inscriptions. Guess what they are. 
Mm. So here's a, a mark here. Uh, oh, and I, I have the reference uh, for this image here that I was going to talk about. So it says, this image that you see on here, this crosshatched pattern carved into the piece of altar comes from Blombos Cave in South Africa. It's the oldest known piece of art in the world, dating to a little over 70,000 or just before humans expanded out of Africa. Wow. Right? So you're thinking, like, okay, what if he did date back that, that far? It's like, did, is this, is, does this mean something to humans? If Cain is afraid of humans back then, does this cross-mark language um, do anything for him? Well, yeah. yeah, because here are humans, right? And again, we'll go through different origins. Some people, you know, don't believe that humans go back that far. And, like, there's different views on this. And we get all that. Like, But I'm saying, if you let's just say you're one of those people that do say, oh, humans yeah. do go back. There's still no contradiction. Because if, if Cain is afraid of people, you know, as far back, the earliest you could ever date him is 70,000 BC. If Cain is afraid of people then, would the people that he's afraid of understand the whole marking language uh, mm -hmm. or what that even is? Yes, because yeah. you have people around the world at the time that are marking crosses yeah. on, as the earliest inscriptions, yeah. it's crosses. It's the tops. Yeah. That's um, pretty interesting. And even to go even further... Uh, later, let's just say this dated to about 40,000 BC or 30,000 BC. This is like, you know, when you get into Neanderthals kind of territory, um, they're starting to make more symbols and, and, and things, right? And notice in every single type of inscriptions around the world, you have, and it's hard to see it from here. I can see it better on, on, on my screen here. Every single one of these has a cross inscription. So you see here, cross. Well, you can't see it uh, with my, my mouse. But the second one on the top, the second one on the um, the one uh, to the the right of that one, and the third. Yeah, it's on third. Like literally, all early markings, uh, or almost all early markings, depict a cross. X marks the spot. Mm. Psychologically, it just seems to be a go-to for people uh, yeah. if they're if they're marking something. Like symbol itself means means something just and basic. It means a mark. It means a sign. Yeah. Uh, if I wanted to, again, if I bury something, if I'm a pirate, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna <laughs> put an X. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a cross to mark something. And so if God put a sign or mark on Cain, what is it gonna be? Well, I think we go back to Ezekiel nine. What he did do later in this vision is he put a tov. And what is a tov? Um, going back up here, mm. it's, a, it's a cross. Yeah. Uh, and it's the last, again, in the Hebrew, going back here, the last letter there, which means a mark, a sign, or covenant. So even the Tav itself, because I told you about the individual meanings. Yeah. Uh, it means a mark, a sign, or a covenant. Yeah. Uh, mm. The Tav. And, and God, Jesus on the cross, literally displaying on the Tav, it is finished. He's the he's the last Adam, right? The first man Adam put yeah. humanity into sin, subjugated us, and yet you have the second, the last Adam, who's on the top, saying it is finished, who mm. is the sign, who is the mark uh, that then spares us from the wrath of God. Cain was worried about the wrath of people, 
and dying in the consequences of his sin, but God puts a sign upon on Cain for Cain that any who see him would not kill him. So he was spared. He was in a way like this atoning, this substitutionary language we were yeah. talking about with Passover. God passed over. These people passed over Cain in a way because he was spared because they saw the cross. They, you know, in the Passover yeah. it's the blood of the lamb. Here it's the sign upon him. And I just think it's a beautiful display of, you know, the gospel here. Yeah. That when we're talking about Good Friday, it's like the mark of Cain, we're debunking. It's not the racist theory of the Enlightenment era. It's not dark skin. It's not um, just for him, which we know. It's not just the city. It's not just the, the you know, the preposition for or statement itself that I'll protect you, yeah. which they argue. It's, it's something visible. It's a covenant marking thing that other people will look and see that not to mess with them, that he was spared. He was passed over. And again, that is the gospel. And going back to Revelation, yeah. which again was pointed out in the comments, here you have in Revelation 7, uh, you know, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And so mm -hmm. in Revelation, you see God, a beautiful picture, marking his chosen people on their heads, which again is, is either the name of God or the, or the Tav or. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, you just see the similar language here. God marking his people, which goes yeah. all the way back to Cain, through Ezekiel, through the cross, through Revelation. Again, another kind of prophetic line here that yeah. God has. And this goes back to the justification argument with, you know, theologically, that when God sees you and you have the Tav, you have the cross, you have accepted Jesus, that you are spared. The wrath, you are spared from the wrath of God. It is no longer yeah. God seeing your sin, but God seeing you you know, like you were saying, the covering, the covering over yeah. the, you know, that whole language of atonement and justification. It's just a beautiful picture of God sparing people who choose him, right? Yeah. He's, he's, he has chosen and that I want to say, yes, Lord, I'm yours. Yeah. Uh, you know, put your mark on me. Like I, I, yeah. I accept the cross. I accept your sacrifice. I accept your blood. I, you are the sub, you know, you are yeah. of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so I think it's just, you see it. And all this is in the old Testament. I mean, except yeah. for revelation here, but all of this, like, isn't that just crazy that yeah. even another prophetic fulfillment that Ezekiel, and even you can infer from all this conversation in Cain, that the earth, you know, the, the cross language, the top language, how it goes back early in human history, God marking, his people and what the significance of that is logically yeah. historically everything uh and yet god chooses to be to die on what like what did jesus die on he died on a tov yeah he died on a tov to set people free like that is to in keeping with his covenant that he promised already he would do yeah. like that is his sign that is the ultimate sign this is the ultimate tov yeah. the cross Good and, the and that's what we in the last letter of the alphabet, and then he says it is finished. Yeah, I mean, you throw all that together. Yeah, which is also quoting the Psalms, which we don't want to be. But yeah, that's all I had today. I know we went uh, way over here. Uh, we wanted to talk about. <laughs> well, technically, uh, it's not two hours twenty minutes, so it is shorter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, we wanted to go an hour and a half. Hour and a half, but we yeah, I wanted to get through all that because it's just I feel like it's so powerful yeah. that Jesus choosing to die on a tov to yeah. set us free in keeping with his covenant with his people, which 
it parallels in this typology, this type and shadow through Cain and through Ezekiel and through, you know, yeah. you see fulfilled in the cross of Jesus and referred in Revelation. So I think that's awesome. That's great. Uh, yeah, anything, any last comments on that? Yeah. I know that's, just, that's, that's what I've been looking forward to uh, hearing you uh, present that because I thought that was um, very interesting. When you did your uh, Bible study briefly last year, uh, right at the beginning of COVID, uh, I, I remember you talking about that, and I thought that was a really um, pretty potent, powerful um, yeah. parallel mm -hmm. or discovery. And, um, yeah, I think that's a very interesting but makes a lot of sense uh way to interpret that and i think it's on purpose i think it's meant to i think that's you know i would yeah. agree that that's what the mark of cain is i think that's that's what i believe it is mm. so, if, I mean, anything, if anything if it's not the racist series we know it's visible we know it's more than just yeah. for cain so that all we do know uh yeah. and we also know for sure that the tov is in reference in ezekiel so even if you say it is a good theory, but maybe I don't fully accept that the Mark of Cain was a cross itself, even though I think there's a lot of evidence, and some of which we presented here, some of which we didn't, uh, yeah. that it is. But for sure, Ezekiel's vision, that is what is in reference. The Tob, the cross, yeah. that is... So if you want an Old Testament prophecy of the cross, sparing mm -hmm. people in, in this redemptive manner, read Ezekiel 9. Like, Ezekiel yeah. 9 is the prophecy that God, you know, the mark on our forehead, the, the cross, the Tob on the forehead to spare his people that yeah. you can't get any more explicit than that. Now, if you then take that story and take what we know of the cane and infer that upon it, I think you have to make a really, really good case that based upon the facts, the minimal facts that it has to be visible. Uh, it has, it's for Cain's protection and um, you know, it's a sign. And again, mm -hmm. going with the roots there. And then also taking into consideration the historical anthropological psychological views of cross language and x marks the spot in human history taking mm -hmm. those four minimal facts and i think you can infer that god did in fact put a mark of a cross on cain's forehead or upon him in some way um but if anything just read ezekiel 9 so yeah very interesting mm -hmm. <clears throat> but yeah it's like kind of like what we were saying um earlier whether it be with the um uh, the like the Levitical sacrificial stuff with the uh, Passover, the Mark of Cain, the Mark in Ezekiel. It's not an explicit saying, you know, one day there will be a man that will do this and fulfill that. Sometimes it is, but it uh, wasn't always the case. But Jesus fulfilled these uh, rituals and these, you know, things that happened in the Old Testament that were significant. And, mm -hmm. you know, like I said, with the things that this I mentioned, great with the, oh, yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah, <laughs> well, thanks. You should, you should say thank you. <laughs> oh, thank but, you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Since you were the one that actually said it, I didn't say it. But um, yeah. yeah, with the, um, you know, some of this stuff is not, like you said, it's not explicitly talking about Jesus. But when you see what Jesus did and how he, you know, paralleled that, you can see that that's what it was setting up for. So it's really interesting, especially with that being a cross and everything. Um, mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I love it. I mean, so that basically concludes what we wanted to talk about a Good Friday. Maybe next year we'll cover some things we didn't cover this year when we get yeah. to Easter and Good Friday. Some, if, you know, if anything, Kane, if anything, Kane wore the first cross necklace. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> first one in recorded history. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, there you go. But uh, yeah, I just I love the stuff like yeah. you know that the cross of Jesus is a big deal. It wasn't just 
you know, God's it shows God's providence. It's not just some random execution tool the Romans used. Yes, it was, but God chose to come down at a specific time in human history to display His glory, mm-hmm. and that is in just the three things we talked about tonight. That is, it shows you that with yeah. the sacrificial stuff, the cross, the top, all that. Um, but yeah, next week we'll talk about the resurrection uh, of Jesus, Easter. Uh, you know that everything to do with that. Just kind of wrapping up this little four or five part. I think that we. This is, yeah, that would be our fifth episode. So this kind of five-part, well, four-part series because the first one was more intro. Oh, yeah, true. Uh, So this kind of four-part series on Easter, Good Friday, the Resurrection, that little crash course there. Yeah. Uh, And then we'll have a Q&A episode, April 20th. So be sure to come in and comment and ask your questions there. That would be great. We'd interact with that. And then after that, we do have an interview with a special guest. uh, That would be, uh, looking forward to that, I think, was uh, April 26th, April 27th, whatever. 7th. Oh, 27th okay yep. yeah yeah seven days whenever april 20th <laughs> yeah. uh just do the math there yeah. yeah um so yeah that's that's that uh excited for that and then we'll oh, yeah. launch into some one-off episodes and then our our series our future series so awesome. i'm really i'm excited looking forward to it yeah yeah all right uh i get another kind of thanks guys for your knowledge of discussion i appreciate it man no I problem love- man. thanks for listening yeah, I, again, the goal for this Bible study is if we just have one person or even by the end of the year, just three to five people that are really benefiting from uh, yeah. our conversations here, uh, that that's a win. Uh, yeah. You know, this we're long-term thinking, like we're in this for the long haul. And so if in the first year of doing this, we benefit anybody, that's a miracle in itself. And yeah. so I hope, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for that. And so I appreciate your support. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, yeah for you guys listening, whether now or after the fact or on Spotify, be sure to like us you know subscribe us whatever platform mm-hmm. you think is best on here if you do like want to hear more uh, again yeah. we're gonna try to cut the episodes down more but you know we're at two hour mark but yeah. let's uh we'll, we'll get to that um we'll yeah, any last words <laughs> um, no just uh thank you guys you know like you were saying for listening thank you for your support uh hopefully something that we say uh means something to you guys and it's not like you said this is a ministry so it's not you know we're trying not to uh make it about us it's um, you know, God speaking through us in a way. So, um, not like a full blown sermon, but to help you guys, you know, with your biblical knowledge and with, uh, just with your relationship, you know, with mm-hmm. God in general. So thank you guys just for listening and, um, supporting us, you know, like us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, subscribe on YouTube. You know, we'll have our videos Spotify on Facebook Audible, and YouTube. Yeah. yeah. Spotify, follow us on Spotify. Um, all that good stuff, you know, keep listening and uh you know we'll keep going for you guys and we'll keep putting out content for you guys just uh you know not only because we enjoy it but because we yeah, want to help y'all so. conversation with the, <laughs> if anything if there's nobody watching it's a good conversation between me and seth yeah. that we used yeah, to, we get to hang out. <laughs> yeah yeah that's pretty cool all so, right well i'll see you guys uh have a good one all right have a good one guys